Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer. He knows my every care. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Have a little talk with Jesus. Right. It makes it right. Yeah. 
We can go to God in prayer anywhere at any time. I don't care where you are. You can go to God in prayer. And I thank him for being that kind of a God. Yeah, I don't have to wait to get to the church or the chapel. I don't have to wait to get home to get on my knees to pray. I can pray anywhere, in my car, in the grocery store, anywhere I can pray. And so I'm thankful uh, unto Almighty God for that this morning. Thank him that he's always there and his door is always open. I'm grateful unto him. So listen, we're moving along this morning and uh, our topic is this today. Will the real believer stand up? Will the real believer stand up too? <laughs> Will the real believer stand up too? Listen, God has called us stand, to stand for his word, to stand in prayer. Yeah, he's called us to something. If he saved you, he called you. And so we want to stand up and let the world know who we are. And what we stand for. We don't go for foolishness. We don't go for nonsense. If it's not God related, we don't want nothing to do with it. A lot of businesses say they're Christian based. That means they're based on the foundations of Christ. I'm hoping that's what it means. But I've seen some places where that's not true. But anyway, that have nothing to do with us. We want to stand up. And we want to be the foundation in the world and for the world. Because somebody's coming to you and asking you, well, what should I do about this? Well, can you ask them to pray for me? Can you pray for me? Yeah, most times we say, yeah, we'll pray for you. I like to pray right then and there. I'm a little sleepy. Don't worry about them yawning over here. But I like to pray for them on the spot, right then and there, if at all possible. Because if they're requesting prayer, that means they need it right now in their lives. Yeah, they need prayer. And so I'm thankful unto Almighty God. Hallelujah. For prayer, for prayer. We got a friend in Jesus. Yeah, he won't let us down. Hallelujah. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so I'm grateful unto him this morning for being there for me and for being related to me, joint heir. I'm joint heir with him, heir. H-E-I-R, hallelujah. And so I'm thankful this morning. But we're moving right along, uh, and I want to get some stuff in as early as possible this morning because I know sometimes people are in other places like Sister Irene and she have to try to get her some sleep. They are into their summer in Australia. And um, this time of night there, it's night there, and I think she tell me it's around 10. And so, you know, it's getting very close to bedtime, if not already bedtime. So I like to try to get in much as possible so that she can hear and be blessed. But most mornings, she was like, oh, the word was coming forth so good. I was enjoying it. I couldn't go to, you know, I I, I was able to stay the whole time. Because sometimes she'll send me a little text and say, I may not be able to stay the whole morning, you know. 
because it's, it's late here. But then once she get in there and the Lord get to speaking, she stay. <laughs> what a blessing. And so we thank God. Last night, ladies, we met over on Facebook. It's called The Tea. The Tea is what it's called. And uh, I'm working on it today, and I have this young man. He's going to help me to work on going live and bringing people in so that if you want to be seen, you can be seen. And so we want to talk about um, life, things that's happening in life, marriage, children, money, you know, stuff like there's no politics. And uh, many of us just come and we are Christians. We're believers, so we can talk about God over there. Yeah. Uh, Sister Irene Lewis say Australia is a wonderful place. <laughs> yeah, she lives in Tasmania. And so we thank God to have her with us every morning. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to have people from all over. And so I'm grateful unto Almighty God. Listen, we're going to this one this morning. This is a request. And uh, when we come back, we're coming back with our morning prayer. And uh, we'll go from right there.
What a beautiful song. All of my help comes from the Lord. And if we'll remember this morning, without him, we can do absolutely nothing. Nothing. Because you see in this morning, that's because of God. You can move your hands, your feet. You can see, you can hear God. Yeah. And without him, we can't do these things. I'm grateful unto him this morning because all of my help comes from the Lord. He made the heavens and earth, and he's for us today. His word says, if he be for us, he is more than the whole world against us. But we have to believe this. Yeah, because some things come in our way, and there won't always be sunshiny days. Yeah. Some days are a little different, but we thank God this morning that he's yet on our side and he's yet for us. And if he be for us again today, he's more than the whole world against us. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this morning for another Tuesday morning. Father, we thank you for waking us up closed in our right minds. We thank you for the use and activity of our limbs. Thank you for life, health, and strength. Thank you for just another day. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Things could be so much worse. But God, you yet keeping us before you. You're yet keeping us, not against our will, but we want to be kept by you. We thank you this morning oh, for America. We thank you for the freedom we have at this time. We thank you, Lord, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and make our petition known unto you. Oh, we thank you for your word this morning. For your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. We thank you this morning that your son Jesus is yet the word. Hallelujah. We give you glory. We give you honor, his majesty. We come before you this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, through songs, through your word, through testimony, through words of encouragement, it's all about you today. And, Lord, we know that you know what the next move is going to be. You hold, you know what the future holds. We know that time has wound up. And, Father, we're patiently waiting for you to return. So we're running this race with patience. And we know that when you come back, you're looking for us. We are your church without spot or wrinkle. And we come before you this morning, bow down in humbleness. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us for all our sins and all our wrongdoings, our wrong thoughts, our wrong speaking, our wrong feelings. And Father, though our sins be scarlet, we ask that you would wash us as white as snow. 
Cleanse us this morning from all unrighteousness and give us a clean heart and renew the right spirit within us this morning. In the name of Jesus, help us to remember that it's praying time. Help us to remember it's time to talk of your wondrous works and make known your deeds among the people. But Father, you wish none should perish and the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. And we come bow down asking you this morning to send more laborers into the vineyard. But Father, we ask that you would remember the labor that you called or chose us for. Lord, stir up the gifts in us today that we'll be workers unto you in the name of Jesus. That Father, one day we'll hear you say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Come on in. Hallelujah. Welcome. Thank you, Lord. We ask this morning that, God, you would remind us that heaven is a special place. And just any and every old thing don't go on there. And, Lord, help us to stop being selfish. That all we want is to hear the prayer we want to hear. We want to hear what you're doing for us. But, God, you're yet doing for us. And we ought to be happy, grateful to do unto you. Hallelujah. And for you, by being a vineyard worker. And working daily. Because, Lord, we're working while it's day when night comes. No man can see. Hallelujah. Stir up the gifts in us that we'll begin to work. In the name of Jesus. Bless every caller and every listener this morning. Father, those that are coming through the archives and the podcast, bless this morning. Father, as only you can do. For you have all power. Hallelujah. There's no higher power. Thank you, Jesus. And, Father, your people need you today. But without you, we can do nothing. We need you in our homes. Wherever we are, we need you. Or if we're driving, if we're in the store, if we're at work, if we're traveling, wherever we are, we need you. And, Father, we ask today that you would move for us in a special way. We know that you have ways to move we've never seen before. Hallelujah. Do it today, O God, October the 3rd, 2023, in the name of Jesus. Heal the sick this morning. Father, heal the sick. Touch God. Make them brand new. You made these bodies. You know all about them. Lord, you can look at a limb and it'll change. You can look at an organ and it'll change. Father, you can look at our hearts and it'll change. Do it for us today. Heal, Father, in the name of Jesus. You took the beating for the healing of the nation. There's yet healing in the hem of your garment. And it's you that heal all matter of sickness and disease. Do it for us today. Again, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning. Have your way here today. Move by your spirit. Bless our family and friends, hallelujah, near and far. Oh, we thank you this morning. Bless those that are incarcerated, those that are in every branch of the military, Father. Bless this morning like never before. Father, look upon America and the leadership and have mercy this morning, oh God. And Father, we ask that you would send in your spirit to straighten the leadership of America out. Lord, we believe 
you're able. You said, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will you hear from heaven, forgive the sins and heal the land. Oh, do it this morning, oh God. We're humbling and we're praying and we're turning from our wicked ways. Oh, we want you to hear from heaven. We want you to forgive our sins and heal our land in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we know that you won't let your people down. Each of us, we are blessed. And you're going to shield and protect us from all hurt, hurt, harm, or danger. And Father, we believe your word. No calamity shall come nigh our dwelling. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you this morning, Father. We thank you for, we don't know what to pray. But Father, you know what we need and you know what to have us to pray for. Move by your spirit this day for your people, oh God. In their homes, in their hearts, in their minds, oh God. Time has wound up. It's a bit closer than it was for your return. And God, we need you in this hour to get it right with you. We need you in this hour to prepare for your return. That God, we have crossed every T and dotted every I. Do it for us today. In the name of Jesus. Bless this segment of Jesus in the morning. Move in a mighty way here today. Open the ears of your people. Give them the ears, spiritual ears to hear what the Holy Ghost is saying to the church. Or today, oh God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. Hey, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we bring children before you, especially American children. Father, parents have lost their minds. And they treat children like they're dolls. They treat children as if they're just going to grow up and just do what is told to them to do, but they're not teaching their children authority at home, and children have no respect for authority, know where they go, so Father, help parents and help children today, send someone along, oh God, to teach children your way, in the name of Jesus, have mercy this morning, oh God, have mercy this morning, in the name of Jesus. But we come asking that you would bless widowers and bereaved families, intercessory prayer people everywhere, preachers preaching in the name of Jesus and obedience unto you and love for your people. Father, bless Israel and prosper Jerusalem. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bless our brothers and sisters overseas everywhere. And Lord, especially those who can't say your name, can't Read your word or speak your word out loud. Have mercy this morning. Continue to lose your protecting angels to stand watch, to shield and protect them. Father, keep them from all hurt, harm, or danger. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And Father, we ask this morning that you would move in a mighty way for every believer, oh God, every preacher, every pastor, every congregation. Yeah, every church of God, the house of prayer this morning, moved by your spirit, Father, that the church will come out and the world will know that the church is yet here and you're still in your house, blessing. 
Oh, we ask in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning. And whatever we miss praying for this morning, oh God, we ask that, Lord, you would take it up, that you would do it for us anyway. In the name of Jesus, thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for what you're doing right now. And Father, what you're going to do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And hallelujah unto you, his majesty. Oh, we thank you this morning, Father. We thank you for hearing. We thank you for answering. Oh, we thank you that you know what's best for us today. Hey, we give you glory. Hallelujah. We give you honor this morning. Hallelujah. Father, we give you praise. There's none like you. Thank you, Father. Thank you this day. Hallelujah. Glory to his majesty. Hey, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Hey, we can't thank you enough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, we bless the name of Jesus today. There is none like him. We can search all over. We won't find nobody. Nobody greater than Almighty God, Jehovah, that have all power. All power. There's no higher power. Hallelujah. We should love him. We should love him. Ah, yeah. Because he first loved us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. So, look, we're moving a little further. I'm going to this one request, and uh, when we come back, we're coming back with our morning scripture reading, and uh, we're going to encourage a little bit and get right to our topic. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, listen, where is Okay. Yeah. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, Mr. Al Green and uh, his jazzed up version, because he jazzed it up. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything, everything, every little thing to God in prayer. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful to be able to go to God in prayer and notice what you're doing and know not only he hears, but he answers. Oh, yeah. And so I'm grateful unto him. Listen, I wanted to talk about uh, will the real believer stand up too? But I believe this morning I have a wonderful, wonderful, two wonderful testimonies. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord will move us this way today. And so the first one is Chinese Mafia leader gives his life to Jesus. And when these people do this, they are all kind of excited. Many of us, we give our life to Christ, and it's as if we come out. Sometimes it looks like we got lemons, you know, been sucking on lemons, or we got a a pickle or something. We're not as, as as excited in a way. And it don't mean that people are not excited in their heart, but sometimes they don't show it the way, you know, these people from overseas show it. Because when you've been under something, and, and let's say you've been, uh, feel like you've been in prison, you've been in bondage, and you've been set free, ooh, you're screaming and running and yelling and telling them things. Hallelujah. So let's go in. And I, well, first, let's read our scripture up to date because I want to share this. And then we're going in to listen to two different testimonies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen to this. This is Second Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1 and just kind of read down to verse 18. And when you get some time to yourself, I want you to read this. Yeah, and don't forget Luke 21, that whole chapter, Luke 21, yeah. Now, Luke was a physician, he was the doctor, and his writings are just different to me. But they sum up to the same thing John said, yeah, uh, Mark said, Matthew said, hallelujah. But we want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it started at verse 1 saying this, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal into heaven. So if this body burn up, I don't have it to worry about. I got another building, and this building wasn't made by hands. And it'll last throughout eternity. Hallelujah. Verse 2 says, for in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we should not be found naked. That's that's uh, verse number 3. I'm I'm moving on because we're going to go to the testimony, but this was the scripture of the day. Verse 4 says, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, 
that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Odo cares about this old world. Hallelujah. Five says, now he that has wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who also has given unto us the earnest of the spirit. Six says, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Do you hear that? While we're here in this body, we're absent from the Lord. Verse 7 says this, for we walk by faith and not by sight. 8 says we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Verse 9 says, wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. But we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the thing done in his body, according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Verse 12 says, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on your behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. 13 says, For whether we be besides ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. 14 says, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 16 says, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yeah, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Yeah, we don't. When he was here, we knew him in the flesh, but as God, we, 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 don't, we don't know him like that. Hallelujah. 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Will the real believer stand up too? Will you stand up? Because you're the new creature. Old things passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You're on God's side now. You're on the Lord's side. You want what he wants. You wish that none should perish. So you're going to stand up and, and talk of his wondrous works and make known his deeds among the people. Hallelujah. And the last verse, 18, says this. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What? We can go to him anytime. He'll take us back. He will in no wise leave us out there hanging. Yeah, he will take us back. If we get too far out there, if we do what they say uh, uh, people uh, uh, do, backside, he will bring us back to him. Hallelujah. There is none, none like him. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Sister Diet. God bless you. Yeah. And God is for us today. And the scripture says, if he be for us, he's more than the whole world against. Thank you, Jesus. I'm grateful unto him. So listen, we're going to take a listen uh, to our first testimony. Thank you for posting scripture, Brother Lewis. Uh, we're going to our first testimony of the morning. And I heard just a tad bit, and I got a little bit excited. So I thought we would enjoy listening to this particular testimony. And then we have one more. And if we can get these two, then we're going to listen at Put God First. And know what? I want to start doing putting it in my ear at night when I go to sleep. Put that message, put God first and him praying. Yeah. Because the more you listen to it, the, the, the more we should draw to the Lord. I have some others. I got to play those for us as well. But we're going to take a listen to this first testimony. My older brother got involved with local triad. I got into a fight, and then I got, basically, my brother called to try to come down. They came over to me. They said, hey, we're coming to watch over this altercation you're about to have to make sure nothing gets out of hand. After I fought this guy, they came up came up to me and said, listen, you know, your brother's with our group. This is who we are, and we want you to join. As I'm leaving the door from my house, my mom's standing there, and she, she's crying, you know, because she, she knows I'm going back to do something. She said to me, she said, son, I prayed a prayer I never prayed before in my life. So I prayed to God that he would do whatever it takes to get you to him. This guy's so angry, and everyone keeps quiet around him, and he pulls out this machete okay, that he had in his pants. And he's about to start swinging this machete. And something that came to my mind was what my mother told me when I was a kid. And she said, son, if you ever get in a situation that you have a problem, I want you to use the name Jesus. And I remember taking one step back and I said, Jesus save me. So Joby, we are super excited to have you here with us at Delphi Testimonies. For the people who may not know you, can you just introduce yourself really quick? Yeah, my name is Jeremy Seow, but I go by Choby. And Choby, could you tell us a little bit about your life before Jesus, kind of starting with your childhood and how that was like for you? Yeah, so childhood, I guess background is my my parents, you know, they, they're involved in the church. My dad, though, he's um, Singapore Chinese. And first-generation Christian, my mom is 100% Polish but American from Pittsburgh, and also she was a first-generation Christian. Um, growing up, it was kind of a rocky household, to be honest with you. Uh, my, my relationship with my father was, was um, not the best. Um, in Chinese culture, you know, especially my generation, we didn't have a very deep connection with our father. It wasn't a very relational, nurturing kind of atmosphere. It was more like kind of roles and um, what you're expected to do. So I never felt like I, I had that, that, that safe spot with my dad. And he also had a, a pretty uh, – he had an anger problem. Probably – honestly, he's probably the violent, most violent person I knew growing up. That kind of took away a sense of safety in the household. And then on top of that, I also had a learning disability. I, I, I really couldn't read. I couldn't write. Couldn't do math. I was, I was dyslexic. And on top of that, I also had a, like a speech impediment. So uh, I, I had a really hard time communicating. And because it wasn't communication with my father, too, as an example, I wasn't really taught to ask questions or practice communication in the house. Earliest memories, I remember being in school. Pretty early on, they put me in special ed class. So I was, I was in public school, and I was probably maybe seven or eight. 
And in my class, there was there was three of us in the public school. Okay, there was a, a girl who she was she was like she was deaf, and there was a dude that he was blind, and there was me. I mean, because they just didn't know what to do with me. They just knew this guy had some learning issues, and they got he got me away from everybody else. And I remember like having my first report card that I could recall, and bringing that report card back to the car when my dad was picking me up. And when he pulled this report card out, there was like literally a bunch of like. This bad, this bad grades, basically. And I remember he told me when he drops me back home, and he comes back home that night to be waiting for him. And I knew what that meant. I knew that he was gonna he was gonna beat me, you know. And to be honest, it was quite common to get beat for like for all kind of reasons. And he left after dropping me off at the house. And I remember going to my room and just having such high anxiety and fear that he was gonna come back and just whoop me. And I remember putting books in my pants because I was like, I know he's gonna he's gonna come down hard. And when he got back home that night, he came to my room, and he knew I put pants. He put I put books in the back of my pants, you know. So he made me take everything off, and he just beat me so hard. And I remember that night, my mom said, "Okay, tomorrow you're not going to school because I was all black and blue." And in my mind, I, it was very hard for me to understand because I, I I had high effort in school, but I just couldn't understand what was going on. I couldn't. I didn't know why academics didn't click. You know, I remember thinking about education, and it was quite – it brought anxiety to me because I open up a book, and I don't know what it's saying. I can't – I don't know what's making out, you know. So when I was about 11, 12, my family moved to New Zealand. It was a, a total new environment, new culture, new weather. You know, people's accents were different. So I'm going through this culture shock about 11 years old, and we moved to a place called Mangare in Auckland. And Mangare in Auckland was kind of the hood. And so we, I go to this public school. It's my first week there. I'm already going through kind of this culture shock. And I remember going to my class the first day. I was a little bit late, and the, and the teacher introduced me as, as a new kid, you know. And right away, I just heard these racial slurs, you know, because I was Asian. And there wasn't many Asians at that time in, in my school. And I just felt so unprotected and vulnerable because I'm going through all this stuff in my family life back home. I feel vulnerable with my dad. I already know that I'm, I can't, I can't, I, I have a problem learning. And, and now I'm just getting like attacked, you know. So there's this group there in my school. They started kind of getting, they would give verbal abuse and then physical abuse to me and my younger brother. So I started to fight because I said, you know what, I just can't have this no more. So they're beating my younger brother. And that's how I got involved with my first gang. So, Toby, during all of this that was going on, the difficulties at home and even in school, where was God? Did you have any concept of who mm. God was? I know you said you were raised in a Christian household. What was, you know, the impression of Jesus um, in your life? I mean, I always believed that God was real, but because of what I was going through, I, I just I just never knew he was personal. I always thought he was distant, maybe because I was very distant from my father. It's very hard for me to conceive a love of God. Does that make sense? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I believe that he was real, but I didn't believe he was personal. That he was kind of doing his thing and I was doing my thing, you know? So. Yeah. So, Toby, tell us about this gang, like these lifestyles that you kind of found yourself getting into because of mm -hmm. the bullying and, you know, the racial um, things that were going on. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what I saw right away is, I mean, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't involved in getting right away, but when I started to fight, I saw that. And it came naturally to, for me because I saw my father, he, he would deal with situations with his fist, mm. not talking. So for me, because plus I had a speech impediment growing up, I was quite insecure to talk. So like when, I, when they started um, coming up to my brother, I thought, 
I'm just going to start protecting him and not letting this happen. And when that, when I started to be physical with these people, then I saw they started back, backing off and they started to keep quiet. And there was, there were games that were quite prevalent in Mangare, Auckland. Like all, like my, like the kids in my school, they talk about their, their, their dads, uncles being black power and Mangro mob and all this stuff like that. They were local, you know? And so actually me and the guys that I started fighting with, we became friends and we started making our own crew. And that was 11 years old. So we called ourselves the SBs, you know? And we were only there for about a year and a half. Then we went from there to Malaysia. And in Malaysia, it was quite more familiar because the Asian country is very close to Singapore. We have the same cultural groups there. We have the Malays, Indians, and the Chinese. And, and, the, and the city I lived in called Penang was more Chinese-dominated like Singapore is. So, and I also have roots from Malaysia because I have aunts and uncles that live there too. So when I moved there, my older brother got involved with a local triad. I got into a fight, and then I got basically my brother called the triad to come down. And they came over to me. They said, hey, we're coming to watch over this altercation you're about to have to make sure nothing gets out of hand. After I fought this guy, they came up, came up to me and said, listen, you know, your brother's with our group. This is who we are, and we want you to join. I told him, though, I said, listen, I need like a week to think about it and maybe come back like in a week, you know. And on Friday, the next week, literally from that day, I, a, a car pulls up when I'm walking back home, and this guy's in there and asked me, you know, you got a week to think about it. What do you want to do? And I said, okay, I'll join. That's how I got involved. So can you kind of explain for those that may not know what a triad is, kind mm-hmm. of were these usual things like people coming up to you like in back cars to recruit people? Like was this part of the culture? Can you kind of explain just a little bit more about what that was like? Yeah, at first I didn't I didn't know it was a triad. I didn't even know what a triad was. All I knew was gangs, right? And and triad is like the Chinese mafia. It's they're very intricate and they're quite strong, especially in Penang, Malaysia where I'm from. I can speak from my from my own experience, you know. They're involved with prostitution, the drug dealing, white-collar crime, you know, extortion, things of that level. They start recruitment also quite early. So 13 years old to be recruited, when I was recruited, was quite normal there. And there's many triad groups in, in the city I was from. These triad groups, they start recruiting at that age because they want to build up their membership. So they can get in when they're young, they're trainable, and they, they, can, they, can, they can learn what's going on, you know, until they're, until they're older. So... Yeah, recruitment is pretty prevalent at 13, 14. Yeah. So, Toby, could you tell us now, you know, you've committed yourself, I guess, to being in this um, gang. What was that like? Mm-hmm. What did you start to get introduced to? Yeah. Like, tell us a little bit about that. Journey. So, in, in, in my mind, when I, when, I, when, I, when, I first got, when I first got involved, um, there was many people in my rank that was recruited in my triad. So, I knew everybody in my rank that was part of our subdivision, okay? So, it's very... It broke down subdivisions or branches. So I knew that school wasn't – I have a future in school. So at 13 years old, I actually got expelled at middle school. So I never went to high school a day in my life. I missed all my high school. And I realized that if I can be around my leader, who we call Tai Lo in Chinese. Chinese triad, our boss called Tai Lo or Big Brother. And the people under us, we call Gina, you know, so – I was the beginning of my Thilo, and I, I knew that if I was around my boss and I was around my leaders, my elders, I can watch them, I can keep quiet, and, and, and hopefully I can, I can gain their favor. Because if I gain their favor, then I have opportunity inside the triad. And because I was kicked out of school, my boss, my Thilo said, hey, Chobi, you know what? You're kicked out of school right now. Why don't you come start hanging around us? 
And that's exactly what I wanted because I, growing up, translated protection as love because I felt so unprotected in my life, whether home or school. I just felt so unprotected. So when, when my Thilo offer protection, they'll say, you know, you, you, join, you join our triad, it's like the recruit, you join our triad, you know, this is what we're involved in. This is the future you have. You know, you go to jail, we're going to bail you out. I mean, they've got connections and all that. So it's very enticing to know you're covered like that under this mafia group. Because I was kicked out of school and my, and my boss said, you know what, you're out. A lot of the members your rank are still in school. I'm going to train you up. And, and me and my boss came very, very close. You know, we had, we had a very good relationship. And so he really groomed me in the Chinese triad. Show me who was who, what to do, what not to do. You know, how to, and then, and then after some time, he said, she'll be, because, you know, you're out of school right now, and we're in charge of a few different local schools, um, which are recruiting grounds, and like I said, training grounds too. He said, I'm going to make you my right-hand man. So everybody under me is going to come under you now. And so now you got to be in charge of the recruitment process, the well-being of all the gina, which is all the kids, and, and making sure, taking care of basically internal affairs and also external affairs that if we have problems with other tribe groups. So very quickly at 15, 16, I already had responsibility, you know, I had people that I had to manage, you know. And at that time, my relationship with my father was also pretty out of hand. And I, I remember one time that, you know, violence was just pretty much my, 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 my activity because this is what you do, you know, in the triad. But also at home, it was also still violent. And I remember one day... I got back home, and it was actually my younger brother's birthday, and me and my father had, a, had an altercation, and I remember that he just started blowing up, you know. He started just, 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 just punching me right in the face, back of the head, got me on the ground, put his knee on my temple, and I remember getting up, and I, was, I just started to explode. I took, a, I took a chair, and I started to beat my dad with it. I started throwing it out of windows, trying to smash the house up. I remember when, I got, when we got done with that altercation, my father came and he started to apologize to me. And it's the first time I ever heard him really apologize because it just, it, even, a, even culturally, the Chinese culture, Christian or not, they just, they don't just do that, you know, which is really sad to say. And he started saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I have an anger problem, but I just thought that it's going to go on like normal. Nothing's going to change. But, but actually, from that point onwards, something happened in my father. And he actually started to calm down. And I, I thought, dude, this is so weird, seeing him all my life blow up. And all of a sudden, like, something's changed in him. And in my mind, my father, who was the most terrifying person in my life, for to see him calm down and not react to certain things that he used to, it, it really did something to my mind. And I thought, maybe it's only, only God could have done something like this, you know. And what happened was, was... My parents knew I was involved in the triad. I would tell them, listen, I'm a tribe member for life. This is the way I'm going to live. That's just how it's going to be. But my father, he actually started to kind of reach out to me. And that, that, that on its own was really weird. But he actually started winning my trust. And we actually started to develop a relationship. And then it, it kind of got even to a point that I trusted my father. I also, during this time in my teenage years, I also started to have really, really um, – bad um, sleep paralysis, but it was, it was to a point that I would actually slip out of my body. So it's almost like the sleep paralysis would take, go to another level that's almost like my, my soul is coming out of my body, and I'm actually looking around at my sleeping body and seeing furniture, but I also see the spirit world. 
And that part right there really started opening my eyes because it would happen quite a bit to a point that I, I just realized that there's actually a, a, a supernatural, a different a spirit world that's, that's um, beyond the physical. So my eyes started opening up. I, I, I really felt that evil was so strong. And e even in a way that uh, evil needs to be respected because the gang I was with and a lot of triads, they, they also have a certain deity they worship. And they also have a, uh, a lot of them have temples that are dedicated to the triad, meaning they have, they have like even monks that are involved with the triad. They're the triad members. And the guys I was with, my, my leader and a, a lot of triad members, they will actually welcome different spirits. And they actually practice witchcraft. You know, they would, they would, wear, they would get certain tattoos that the monks would come and they do a hand tattoo and they, they would actually blow spells into them and they're going to trances, but they're welcoming like a monkey god. Of, they're fighting gods. They're fighting spirits, really. And they, they would actually go for fights with machetes, and they wouldn't even get cut, even to that extent. So they, 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 they welcome all this kind of... So in my mind, even seeing all that, it gave me kind of a respect, but at the same time, I didn't want to... I, I never... Even my boss wanted me to get the, 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 the spiritual tattoos. I, I never got them because I knew what I was seeing at night. And I didn't want to, like, kind of provoke. Does that make sense? I didn't want to provoke because when I was going through these, these almost like an out-of-body experience when I was asleep, it was very terrifying. It was very, very scary, you know, and so I, I just didn't want to mess with that. Um, yeah. So, Toby, I know that you had a lot of powerful encounters that mm -hmm. led you to um, Jesus and, and yeah. to salvation. Can you walk us through kind yeah. of how you came from being a, a gang member in, mm -hmm. in these mafias to now serving the Lord? Yeah, so the word, of my, 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 the word of the Lord came to my mom, and the Lord told my mother that I was going to get killed if they stayed in Malaysia. So one day my mom comes and she says, we're packing up, but we're leaving. I had no idea, though, that God spoke to my mom. And if she told me, I probably thought she would be crazy, to be honest, because I, I didn't think God could, like, speak to you like that. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to try to come to the States, because in Chinese, we call America the mountain of gold. <laughs> okay, so we think this place might be an opportunity or something. So we end up leaving. But before I leave, actually at the airport, a lot of the guys from the tribe came to, to send me off. And as I'm saying goodbye to a bunch of these guys, there, there was quite a few of them, maybe, maybe 25, 30 of them. There was one guy who I actually kind of grew up with that he wasn't involved in the gangs, but when I was saying goodbye to him, he said, Chobi, I have something for you. And he, in his hand, he had his little New Testament Bible. And, and he did that in front of everybody. But he had the boldness to hand me this New Testament Bible. And I took it because, I, I, you know, me and him were cool, so I took it with me. I brought it back to the States. As I'm back in the States, right, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to end up going back to Asia. I'll, take, I'll stay here. I'll fly back and forth. I had my right-hand man running, running, you know, my, 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 my kids, my group, all that. As I was here, I really just remember thinking that my girlfriend back in Malaysia was cheating on me. Something just told me she was cheating on me. So I called my, my boss up, and I said to him, I said, listen, I got this feeling that this girl's cheating on me. Can you check it out? So the next day, I get a phone call, and my, Tyler, my boss called me. He said, Chobi, we, we looked around, and this is who she, she's cheating on you, and this is who it is. And I just lost it because that guy who she went with, he was also involved with the triad tri groups. And part of our, we call the laws, right? Part of our laws is you cannot, doesn't matter what tribe you're from, you can never take a, a, um, a girl from a tribe member. That's, break, that's breaking our law, we call it our laws, you know? So I thought, and this guy, I, I actually fought him before. 
And I thought to myself, I don't know if he's doing it because he's spiteful or what. I remember calling at that time, now with my ex-girlfriend, and I said, listen, I'm going to fly back to Penang, and I want you to tell him I got a present for him. And I had a, I had a plan to go, to, to go get this guy. So I bought a plane ticket. I remember thinking this this point in my life, like my life was almost crumbling, you know, because I, I, I was already a branch leader with people under me. And that was my dream as a kid. I, I always dreamt that if I, I want to be someone of leadership within the triad. I didn't want, I want to be an asset, you know. I wanted all this, all that, the name. And I'm thinking to myself, like, it, what's it for? What's the purpose of it, you know? So I started questioning life, you know. And the day I'm leaving to the airport, I actually, gra- I actually grabbed that New Testament Bible that my friend gave to me from Penang. And as I'm leaving the door from my house, my mom's standing there. And she's, she's crying, you know, because she, she knows I'm going back to do something. She said to me, she said, son, she said, look at me. And I looked at my mom and she said, I want to tell you something. So I prayed a prayer I never prayed before in my life. So I prayed to God that he would do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get you to him, to bring you to, to Christ, you know. In her mind, she thought she would never see me again. But I didn't know that God already told her that I'm, a, I'm, that I'm, a, I'm a, probably get killed over that. So they moved the whole family to get away from the mafia stuff. But when she told me that, I felt like something was going to happen on my trip. And so I get to the airplane, and I pull out the New Testament Bible because my life, the only comfort I had in my life was control, controlling people, you know, using violence to control people, whatever. I, I felt like that wasn't my safety because I was so insecure. You know, I felt like life was so insecure. And in the plane, I just felt like the plane's going to crash. You know, I always think, like, I can't control. I'm not flying the plane. So I'm like, I'm freaking out. You know, so I open the New Testament Bible, and I'm still filled with this rage, you know. And here I can't read. I've never read a book in my life. And I'm flipping through these pages, right? And I see these words pop out. And it said, in three days, I will heal you. And I just can't believe what I'm seeing because mm-hmm. I know that I've never been able to read before. And I'm thinking, honestly, this is like a miracle or something. So I close this and I say, God, if this is you speaking to me right now, in three days, if you take away my anger from this guy who I'm flying halfway around the world to go find, I'm going to let him go. And I thought about that prayer. I thought about what I saw. In three days, I'll heal you. I get to Penang, and my guys are waiting. And I told him, listen, I, I, need, I need a few days. Three days go by, and all I knew was rage and anger. I just didn't have, I didn't know how to control this thing, you know. I wake up in the morning on the third day, and I just felt this peace in, in, in this room I woke up at and I said man I was I came all the way here to find this guy and I feel this peace and peace was such a foreign thing to me I didn't even understand what peace was so I let, I let that guy go but that month I spent the whole month in that city in Penang and I went to a club and we we got we got we got a table we got bottle service and it was only me and me and two other guys who were who were same rank as me and in my triad and after a few hours go by my my my, my friend comes and says hey Cho, our rivals are here and i'm like you know what we just spent all this money on bottles let's just have fun and then let's just call it peaceful you know let's just go home whatever so the club closes and then we go to eat food you know like kind of like out outside by the street the car this car pulls up where, where we're eating and the our rivals a different triad is in that car and they come up next to us sitting down and it was automatic when they sat down we started fighting right away you know we started fighting 
and um, one of the guys got hurt pretty bad. Went back home. The next day, I get a phone call, and at that time, um, our territory was called Gurney Plaza. It was, it was, we have many different areas of territory, but this was a territory that literally me and a few other guys, our assignment was to take that territory over, and we did that. So these guys now, who we beat up the night before, are there, and my right-hand man, who was at the territory, called me to Chobi. These guys who you had a fight with, they're here looking for you, and I know they're coming to retaliate. So I'm on the way, and I call my, my, my boss to come. My boss gets there before I do, and he's like on the 7th or 8th floor. There's, a, there's like, a, like a pool center up there, and he tells me, Chobi, when you come, you come, come upstairs, and you tell me what happened last night. Because now i got to report to the boss. Once he's called, now he is in charge of the situation. Because the tribes are very political and they, different groups work with each other, he was, he was going to go confront that leader that, that, that came to that area. So he's upstairs waiting for me and my two friends. So I, we got together the same guys I was with the night before. And I'm on the first floor, okay? And it was almost like this day-to-day triad stuff. I push the elevator button and I see the elevator come down. I'm walking the elevator like five, four, three, two, one, and be- before that happens though, like I see there's guys behind me in the first floor too, and I don't know who they are. And um, when the elevator opens, I see a bunch of dudes in there, and I'm like, I know this is the this is the gang, and they start coming out. A lot of them don't know who I am, and I don't know a lot of who they are, but in my mind, I suspect that they're the rivals. And one of the last guys that come out. And as we're exiting out, we kind of walk in the elevator. I see a guy with his face, and he's really messed up. And I knew he was a guy from the night before. So he turns around, and now we're in the elevator. And they're talking to other guys on the first floor. And now they start assembling around this elevator. And they're rolling in numbers here. And they're very upset. And I'm thinking, we might just have to fight right here. And I I know we're completely outnumbered. But all of a sudden, I just can feel that there was a spirit of death that was there. It was so strong that for some reason, I felt like I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to die today and this, that I'm, I'm gonna be taken. I just, and I could not get out of my mind and I'm facing this triad and I'm trying to ignore what I'm feeling because this is like a really weird thing that's going on in my head. Like I'm feeling this spirit of death. That's the only way I put it. And the leader starts talking in front of me and he is shouting, and this guy is so angry. And everyone keeps quiet around him, and he pulls out this machete, okay, that he had in his pants. And it's in the middle of, of his mall, okay? He pulls out the machete, and he's, and he's saying to us, you know, why did you attack our guys? We're coming here to settle problems right now. And he's, trying to, he's actually trying to get us to kidnap us first, but we're not trying to go anywhere. And he's about to start swinging this machete, and something that came to my mind was what my mother told me when I was a kid. And she says, son, if you ever get in a situation that you have a problem, I want you to use the name Jesus. Because I will always say to my mom, you know, I'm, you know this is, you know, our, our tribe is powerful. This is our name, this and that. It's all about, like, us, you know. But that, what she told me, came to my mind. And I remember taking one step back and I said, Jesus, save me. And in that moment, with this guy about to swing this machete, I see a hand come in the crowd, okay, because they're, 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 they're assembled, you know. And held this guy back, and I look, and as one of my triad members that was actually looking for us, he came just like that. And he actually knew the guy with the machete. And he said, hey, hey, you know, um, use his name and all that. These are my guys. And we 
broke up, and I thought to myself, it was just the nick of time that I thought, and it was the name Jesus. And then the next day, I'm thinking about what's going on, but I go to another club, and they're passing out pills. So I'm taking these pills, and I'm just overdosing. My friends are bringing me outside because I can't really feel my body. I'm, I'm really dying, honestly. And I, I remember looking to the sky. I remember the day before, and I said, Jesus, save me, Lord. And I sobered up. I completely got back on my feet. I was completely sober. And my guys are looking at me like, Shobi, are you okay? And I said, I, I think Jesus saved me. And they're thinking, man, Shobi lost it. But I, something happened in my heart. And then the third day, my right-hand man came to pick me up in his car. And as he pulls up, I, I heard this voice. And it said, put your seatbelt on. And I never wore my seatbelt over there. It's not like America where you have really like super strict laws. Like you do what you want over there, you know. I never put my seatbelt on. But I got in the car because I heard that voice. I put my seatbelt on. And I looked to my friend. And my friend is actually, he's actually making fun of me. He's like, Shobi, you know, I never, you never put your belt on. Why, you don't trust my driving? I said, no, you put yours on too. And he put his on. And in Asia, they drive up this side on the right side. America's left, but he was driving on this side. So we're going down the street. And he's flying with this car. And there was a car that braked all of a sudden in front of him. And I'm just hearing the wheels, like hit the, hit, you know, the, the, hearing the wheels squeak. And I thought, no matter what we hit right now, I know it's going to be it. We're going way too fast. And my life literally flashed before my eyes. I don't know why that happens, but I don't know if it's because you're just like, it's part of like, just seeing all you went through, what all your decisions you made. But I remember thinking, 11 years old up to now, the person I was, and I thought, there's nothing good in my life. And I said, I, I thought, I know I'm going to hell. Mm. I just closed my eyes, and I felt this massive bump. And I just knew that this is going to be it, you know. I, I felt this huge crash, and I felt like it, like suspended in air. You know how your stomach kind of goes up? You feel like your stomach like dropping or something? I felt this, and... I remember opening my eyes and like there was this leaves all in this windshield and my head was tilted sideways because there's this huge pole that went through the windshield and my head was like this and and the pole actually went all the way back to the back windshield and I'm turning over to my friend here and he's going through the seizure and his eyes are rolled back and I never it's my first time I saw a seizure his eyes were rolled back and he just had blood streaming down his head went all over his shirt. My body was so in shock. I could almost, I could almost not even feel my body because of the impact, you know? So I didn't even know if, like, if I was alive or dead. I wasn't sure, but I popped my seatbelt off and I fall on, the, fall on the floor. And I get off the ground to see what we hit because at that time, I was in a daze. I didn't know what we hit. When I look at the car, what happened was when the car was going down the street and it fishtailed, it actually jumped off the sidewalk. And the car went so high in the air, it landed in this tree. And this tree was like a Y, and it was sitting like that, perfectly. It was completely suspended in this tree with two branches, you know? And the front of the car hit this, like, this kind of village, like, 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 roof thing, and that pole was part of that structure, you know? And these people came out, they got, they got my friend down, and he's in my arms, and he's just, like, bleeding everywhere. He's telling me, Chobi, I can't, I can't feel from my waist down. And he's kind of going in and out of consciousness. I remember thinking, man, there's this death all around me, you know, in my life, you know. And he was saying to me, tell my, tell my parents I love you. He's, he's basically giving me his last words, you know. And at that time, all I could do was just 
call on God. And I just started praying for him. Ambulance came, and we went to the hospital to get x-rayed and all this. At that time, when I was thinking about the Bible, what I read in three days, and, I, uh, and the mach- I, I, God saved me from the machete thing, the overdose, and this car accident. As I'm laying in bed, and I'm thinking about the name Jesus and how I called on him, even though I was so far from God. And even though at that point, I was the most evil person that I've, I've, I knew. I knew my, dark, my heart was so dark. But I saw how a situation that was beyond human control, now God intervened in a way that completely shattered everything I believed about him. And the biggest person in my life was my Thilo, my boss. I remember laying in bed and just saying, God, I want you to be my Thilo now. Because I knew that, that it, was a, it, was, it was his intervention that saved me completely. And in the hospital, when I, when I said that, that was like my, my prayer to God, you know? I felt something come alive inside of me. And I actually, it's almost like, um, almost like having breath for the first time and really know you're breathing, but it was inside my, my, like my being, you know? And I was in the hospital for maybe like two nights, came out to the scratches, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm gonna surrender my life to the Lord because of what he did, you know? So I go back to the States and I just know that God saved me in, in a way that I would have been done for if he didn't. And I know that, that I can't read, but his word is like what he wants for my life. So I remember going to my room and just saying to God, God, I know you have power. I've seen what you did. I, I need you to help me to read because I know your plan for me is in here. And if I'm going to follow you, I, I need to know what it's saying. And I opened that New Testament Bible. And as I'm going through the lines, the words started making sense to me. And, and here I was, you know, I'm, I'm never went to high school a day in my life. I mean, I said I had special head teachers, you know, like one-on-one stuff. They couldn't. And here I am, like, I started to read the Bible. I started to see that what his, his word, his truth, like, I started realizing my life, the way I was living was wrong because now I'm seeing what he wants from me. That lying's wrong, you know, sleeping with girl, all these stuff. I was so hungry for the word that I read the New Testament seven times in six months. And in that time, as I was spending time with the Lord, he spoke to me one day. I heard, I heard him say, I want you to go back and I want you to quit the mafia. I want you to talk to your boss and I want you to talk to all of your guys. And that was such a struggle for me. First, I was like, that can't be God. You know, I'm like questioning this thing. But every time I pray, I felt very strongly. He was saying, go back. And yeah, so I bought it. I bought a plane ticket and that was my plan. So, Toby, during these six or seven months that you're reading this Bible, you're learning God's will for your life, you're finding yourself in this, like, repented lifestyle, what were your family saying? You know, they had sent you off thinking that you were going to die, mm-hmm. and now you come back renewed. What was your mom's reaction, your dad? Like, what were people around you thinking? At first, they didn't believe me at very first because I was such a crazy person. They thought, oh, he's just talking. But when they saw me, I, I wouldn't come out of my – I wouldn't come out – of my house, and I had friends in the States too. When they knew I was back, they'd come to my door, and I, I would just not even go out. When they saw that, and they saw me start writing down scripture, and I started posting it on my door, so when I wake up, I would just look right on my wall, scripture. You know, they started seeing all this. They thought, wow, this guy, Joby, God really did something. And they were so ecstatic. And they can see that things that I was embracing, I started saying, you know what, I don't want that for my life anymore. I started giving stuff up, you know what I mean? And that right there, 
I think they started seeing, okay, like, I, you know, Chobi's really, you know, he really met the Lord. And um, it, it was, it was uh, definitely different for them. But, of course, their prayers are being answered. And my mom's prayer specifically was being answered because she knew I had a, a, a you know, a crazy encounter, you know, with, with the Lord and all that. And what were their reactions to you wanting to go back to Asia and, you know, renounce kind of this group that you were a part of? Yeah, they didn't want me to do it. Can you tell us a little bit more about, like, how you made the decision to go even when you were wrestling with God, you were mm -hmm. hearing the disapproval, you know, of your parents? Yeah. What made you continue? Because I knew that a lot of guys were tribe members because I recruited them. I was responsible for a lot of these guys here, and I felt that responsibility. I knew that just by spending time with God, he wanted me to go back. So I decided to go back. I knew if I go back and I told my guys that I quit, that I, I, I needed to face my boss and I needed to do it a tr like the, tr the traditional style you're going to come out. Not just like say, hey, man, I'm laying low, whatever. It's like I got to go face my boss and do this like officially. So when I went back to Penang, I had dinner with my, with my Thilo, you know, and he was with a bunch of other elders and I didn't know he was coming with them. But he brought me out to eat, and he was so happy to see me. Like I said, we, had, we actually had a good relationship. And after we got done eating, he was going to drop me off at this apartment I was going to stay at, at my friend's place. And I told him, I said, there's something I have to give to you. And I said, can you, can you, can you please come outside of the car with me, you know? In Chinese culture, we have to get on our knees. And we have to get a, give a red envelope of Chinese writing. We call it ang pao. And that's like your, and you got to give two hands on your, on the, kind of like bowing down, you know? That's like the first step. And then whatever the boss decides to do with you is up to him. When he came out of the car, I tell you, I was, I was, I was so freaked out. I was, I, was, I, was, I was very freaked out. And I remember just telling God that, Lord, when I get on my knees, I want you to know that I'm, I'm bowing down before you coming out of this. And when I got on my knees, I, 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 I handed him the envelope. And I felt, I really felt at that time when my knees dropped, just God's peace just come and overwhelm me. And I just felt his presence, you know. My leader picked me up. And he asked me, you know, what's going on here? And I told him, I said, listen, this is what God did in my life, you know. And he knew I wasn't educated. He knew, he knew all that. He knew my education was on the street, you know. And he said to me, you know, why don't you just retire? And that's a title that we have, retire. means like you, you've done your work. You're still respected. You're still a member, but you don't got to do nothing anymore. You're done. I said, I said, I, I can't. I said, I, God told me to come back here. And I told God, he's my, he is my Thilo now. And I got to tell the other guys, I'm out. So he took the envelope. He took the money out. Cause we got to put a certain, a certain number inside that envelope, which represented our triad. He said, you take the money, Chobe. This envelope, you're out. And then, and, and then he called the office. Because when you join the triad, your name is registered in the office. We have an office, you know. He said, he called the office. He said, your file's done. You're officially out. And I remember just feeling the weight completely lifted from that day completely lifted and the next day I went to my territory to our territory and I called my right hand man up I said listen call the whole group out I want to have a meeting right now no one can no, everyone must be here no exception you know so he got everyone to come out and they're all they're all around you know and I started telling them I said Jesus came into my life and I met with the big boss yesterday I'm out I'm telling all you guys you know I apologize for getting you involved I apologize for who I've been to you, but now I'm going to follow the Lord. I quit in front of, you know, I, I, I told them everything that I'm done.
could you actually tell me just a little bit, how did your members kind of take that? Were they angry with you? Were they sad? Like, or what was their response? Yeah, they, they had different responses, you know. Some were, some were in shock because, you know, in the triad, your thylo is everything to you. You do everything they say, you know. And, and honestly, if, you know, with these guys here, they, they, they followed me. Some of them were actually in disbelief, you know, like Chobi, like of all people, it's coming out. Yeah, some were a little confused because they thought when I come for the for the the meeting, like we're gonna get everything back in order and we're gonna party and all this stuff. But they said, man, this guy just became a Christian, you know. So take us through, you know, now the Lord has pulled you out. He's kind of healed you. He's even shown you mercy with your mm. gang leader mm. to allow you to just leave so easily. And then you get back to the States. What does the Lord begin to do for you then? Where does he begin to take you? And how, what does your life begin to look like? I knew that I, I had a lack of foundation in the Lord. And I knew that there was a lot of things that God had sorted out in my life. I, did, I first decided to do a DTS, which is a discipleship training school with YOM. It's a six-month training program. I thought I really got to get foundation in the Lord, you know. I felt like it was a great opportunity to do it. I joined YWAM for six months and ended up going on a staff for a couple of years. And then during that time, the Lord spoke to me about going back and getting re-educated. Because here I was, still kicked out of middle school. I had no education. I, you know, here in the U.S., I do a GED, which is a basically a high school equivalent. I remember, like, opening up my books, my GED books, to study everything I missed in high school. And I remember even facing that, it was almost facing a place of, of trauma in a way because education resembled a place of hurt for me and a place of kind of shame. But it was also a time of he a healing process because I felt like the, like God was, was, was helping me through it. And in 10 months, I got the GED and I went to college, you know. And actually what happened was even in college and writing, I remember my, my writing class, okay, my professor would come up a couple of times and he would say, do you mind if I, if I would read your, your essays and all this to the class? And I would say, yeah, go for it. I remember sitting in class and he would be reading my papers and he would just be so – and I just thought to myself, if he knew what I went through, missing all of you – know, being special ed, dyslexic, and God – you know, I, I was on the dean's list. You know, God just really helped me even in education. And then from there was business. I went, you know, three different stores. And then from there, that was seven years. I went on to doing more missions. And then now involve other stuff in the business world, you know. But um, I've just seen God redeem every part of my life. And even my name, Chobi, you know, that name, when I first came to know the Lord, I asked God, God, do you want me to be called, you know, something else, like Jeremy or something else? Because my name, Chobi, was, 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 you know, it had a reputation for itself. I fasted and I prayed. I didn't tell anybody about this. And I prayed for two weeks. And one day I stepped in my church and my pastor walks up to me in the middle of service. And he said, Job, I got something to tell you. I said, I said, what? He said, God woke me up last night. And he doesn't know about my, me praying, Kay. He said, God woke me up last night and told me what your name meant. And he hands me his piece of paper. And I'm looking at his piece, piece of paper in church. And it says, C-H-O-B-Y. Christ heals over bad years. And I remember just tears just coming down, knowing that He, God, redeems even the name, you know. And I have seen God redeem every part of my life. So many miracles with PTSD, violence that I could not control. I'm talking like it was just, I, th I thought, how could I ever live 
without being like fanatical because you, you, you live as a lifestyle, you know, and God breaking that God helped me sleep at night, you know, the sleep paralysis part going away, you know, and enc encountering him in that way. And so, like, I've seen him redeem all these things throughout the years. So, Chobi, I know that now you're kind of involved in going on missions and going overseas to even spread the gospel. Can you tell us just a little bit about how the Lord began to even touch your heart to take you from a place where, you know, you were overseas involved in all these other activities, but now he's taking you back overseas, but for him now? Yeah, I, I know where I was at, and I, I, I know that without him, I felt like there was just no, there was, there, life was pointless and there, there, it was meaningless, you know. And I just felt like, you know, Jesus, Jesus, he is the reason why we are here. And so I, I, I have, the, I have this convict, I've always had this conviction since I gave my life to the Lord about sharing with others about who he is, what he can do, how personal he is. Because of that, I, I, I feel this strong impression in my heart to continue to share about who he is, the gospel, his grace, his love his forgiveness, and his redemption and healing. Toby, do you have any words of encouragement for people who may be struggling with some sort of learning disability and it may be causing insecurity or shame, and even people who may be in Christ dealing with these things? Do you have any words uh, for them? Mm. Just that God, God, God is a God of healing, and there's nothing impossible for him. There's nothing too big that he, can, he cannot heal. My encouragement is is that God, He's able to renew and restore every part of life, even if it's a you know a mental struggle or a learning disability. That God has a plan, and that He has value, and that shame is not His plan for you, and He has really new life all the way around, including in if you're struggling with with mental disability or learning disability that God is able to do all things. We know that the internet is very large and this video may reach people who are involved right now in organized crime. Do you mm -hmm. have any words of advice or encouragement for those people watching? I'll say the same thing. I know it's not easy to get out, especially when it comes to lifestyle and identity. But I will, I will say this, I will say to, if you get in a situation with that life, you're always in situations, but you call on that name Jesus. It is the most powerful name it is the most he is he's able to take a situation and take control beyond what you can do and so so my encouragement is to reach out to the lord in your situation in your in your encounters that you have that you may you feel like you cannot get out of or you need you need god to intervene you call on jesus and he he is real and he is able to show up beyond what you can imagine or what your capability of doing and Toby, do you have any advice for somebody who may want to share the gospel, but they don't feel like they have the freedom to do so because of, you know, not being smart enough, not being educated enough on it, or, you know, just feeling like they're not worthy to share the gospel? Do you have any advice for people going through that? Yes, it's only by grace. It's all by grace, you know. When he calls us, all of us who are, who are in him, we're all saved by grace. We all fall short of the glory of God, you know, but it is, it is him who will do the work. It may just be a, it may be something very very simple, sharing the gospel about you know maybe it's laying seeds here and there. Yeah, if God if God can use me, God can use anybody really, you know. So and, and know and know that what you carry transforms people. What you carry transforms communities and can transform nations. So the power of the gospel 
is 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 really like Paul said for, for about for salvation. Um, it's the power of salvation. So never feel like incapable, or maybe you might say I don't have a, a story like Chobi, but but you know I don't, I don't have all that kind of rough background. But the truth is, Jesus too, he was innocent, right? But he changed he changed the world. So you don't need this story or that story. You know you may just be you might feel like man I'm I'm just sheltered. That's okay. You can you you can still rock the nations, mm-hmm. you know, and you know because we have the we have we have the same Holy Spirit that can do all things. So yeah, be encouraged. Choby, who is Jesus to you? To me, he's not only the one that heals; he is he is healing. He's not only the one that shows love; he is love, and he is he he really came in the flesh and became and is my is our best friend is my best friend, and he's the one that gave me a whole new life. So he is definitely. My God, my Savior, and He's everything. My breath. Do you have any last words for the people that are watching? Yeah, just go go to the Lord and a- ask Him. You know, you might this might be completely new to you. It might sound so wild that you're like this. You know, this guy's just talking about something that he imagined. But you know what? You, if God is real, then call on Him, so He can reveal Himself. And if your heart is open to that, you're gonna see God come in, and He can prove Himself. And my encouragement to you is to reach out to the Lord. Chobi, could you just pray for anyone who may be watching your testimony right now or even dealing with some of the things that you may have dealt with in the past? Yeah, absolutely. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord God, whoever's watching, I pray, Father God, that if they have questions or struggles, that you just really intervene, Lord. You do what only you can do. You heal, Lord God, things that even doctors say is impossible. Lord, you are able to turn situations, Lord, of death into complete life. So I pray, Father God, for everyone who's tuned into this, Lord, that that they will leave this, Lord, with a different understanding of you, Lord, that your intervention would take place, Lord God, and bring transformation. Lord, anyone who's struggling in gangs, Lord, that they feel like there's no way out, show them, Father God, your authority. Show them what you can do. Give them the boldness, Father God, that's beyond their own. Lord, those who need mental healing, Father God, Lord, you are able to touch every every nerve ending, Father God, every part of the brain, Lord, and open it up, Lord God. We thank you, Father God, for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.
of man, because if not, we would be lost. Many of us would be dead and gone, but we learned to call on the name of Jesus, and we were spared from many things, many things, and so I thank God for that. I thank God for it. All right, I am looking for this next one, and the next one, I think it's from I forgot what it was, y'all. I'm sorry. But uh, I will find it. It should be in the F-R-O-M. I'm looking through the song vault. And I tell you what. Um, let us go to... Uh, I tell you what, we're going to this one song while I go and find the next testimony.
Now what I care about is finding out like what's true because I'm like this stuff is real like they're telling me true things like what if this is what I'm called to do myself because they're telling me things like hey and you're you're called to be a warlock and this is your ancestors and and, and, and your great grandmother was a witch and, and they tell you all these things just to like to get you to believe this because they want the devil wants to use you and I decided hey I'm gonna go to the beach and I'm gonna I'm gonna call upon whoever the higher power is and I didn't know the Bible I didn't know anything I went out there profusely crying just screaming who are you What's the purpose of life? Who are you? What's the purpose of all this? I need to know when I'm screaming and I heard a voice say, I'm going to show you now. I got literally knocked down to the ground. Like it was, it was too strong. Like I just, I couldn't, like I just got, I got, I curled up in a ball and I was manifesting demons. I was crying profusely, coughing up. I felt like things were coming out of me. It was my, my spirit and my soul. I just knew it's Jesus.
Well, Richard, it's an honor to have you on the channel today. For the people who maybe don't know you, who've never seen you, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are? Amen. Again, thank you for having me on the channel, Eric. I just want to honor De La Fe. It's an honor to be on here and just and, and be able to bless the body of Christ and those that are unbelievers, too. Um, so my name is uh, Richard Lorenzo Jr. I'm a pastor out here in um, Central Florida at the Remnant Revival Outreach Center. I have a beautiful wife, three kids. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I'm a leader of a ministry. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican descent. I come from a city um, down south, uh, Broward County, Florida, near Fort Lauderdale. Um, and, yeah. Richard, can you tell us about your life before Jesus, starting with your childhood? So, again, I was I was born and raised in um, Fort Lauderdale, um, Broward County, Florida. I was born premature at five months. Um, I almost died. Um, they actually had to um, put me in an incubator for a few weeks. Um, my mom couldn't see me for the first two weeks. And so I developed enough to be able to come out of the incubator. Um, that was the beginning of my life in it. I continued to grow up in a, um, a Puerto Rican household. Uh, my parents are from uh, two cities in Puerto Rico, Caguas and Lutuado. My mom, Catholic. My dad was raised Christian, but really wasn't um, in the faith. Really, really lukewarm. I wouldn't even say lukewarm, just not in the faith at all. So I was raised in a home where, um, you know, a lot of love. Um, my parents did, you know, Puerto Rican traditional, a lot of love, cared about us, um, took care of us. We, we weren't raised in a wealthy home, but we, we also weren't raised in a super poor home. It was, I would say, about middle class. And my family, um, my mom, my dad always wanted the best for me. So I, I would go to church, Catholic church, CCD, got my confirmation, reconciliation, that's what they call it, and um, communion, and the whole nine baptized as a baby, um, but never really believed in the Catholic religion, just would go because my mom wanted me to go. And, you know, being raised in that household, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of issues, um, because obviously Christ wasn't the center fully, so, you know, a lot of tribulation throughout my lifetime, um, a lot of rejection growing up, you know, seeing things and experiencing things, but again, my parents, I honor them. They loved me, my, me and my brother. I have one younger brother who's 29 now. He's a few years younger than me, four years younger than me. Um, we, we were just raised in a household where, you know, there was a lot of uh, rejection. Just when Christ is not the center, is there's going to be issues. There's going to be issues just because Jesus, Jesus needs to be the center of everything. So, you know, being raised in Broward County, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot. I was a product of my environment, um, trying to live two lives. So, you know, trying to please my mom. I love my mom so much. You know, getting good grades in school by any means necessary, cheating on my tests, just doing whatever I could. And I wasn't a dumb kid. I, would, I was smart as well. So I was able to kind of manipulate the system, finesse. Mm -hmm. And if you know about Florida school system, it's very, it's terrible. So it was really easy to cheat and get, and get past things in Florida. You know, I'm talking about honors classes, AP classes. And but at the same time, I lived a whole other lifestyle. I played on the basketball team in my school, and I loved basketball, but I also loved women. I loved partying. I loved drinking. I loved smoking, and I loved robbing and doing all types of crazy stuff, anything that could give me a thrill. It wasn't because I needed money. It wasn't because um, because I, I was so poor that I needed to go do this. It was because I wanted to... Um, I wanted acceptance from my peers. So again, a product of my environment, you know, if you do these type of things, you're accepted and you're looked higher 
you know, they, they they look at you like you're like you're more of a man. So, you know, if you have, if you have a girlfriend, you're a sucker. You know where I'm from. You need to have multiple girls. If if you're not robbing and smoking and drinking, if you're not getting money and tra- selling drugs, you're you're nobody, and no one looks at you. So, these are the things that I I, I did to be accepted, and at the same time, maintaining a certain GPA because I, I did want to go to college. I did want to eventually leave um, Broward because I knew that Broward just had it was just it was sucking me dry. Um, so I left Broward at 18 and I went to Orlando and I got accepted to UC. The University of Central Florida, and I went there, and you think things would change, it didn't. Um, you know, my first two years, it got worse, drinking more. Now I brought that lifestyle to Orlando around a bunch of, you know, kids that um that that didn't know that lifestyle. So now I took advantage of it, drug dealing, making money, um, partying, fraternities. I wasn't part of one, but I'd be involved and affiliated with all of them, getting into the clubs, you know, $2 Long Islands, you know, pictures of Long Islands in the, in the club, and, you know, always drunk. Drinking and driving was a normal thing since since the age of 17. Mm. Drinking and driving was normal. I'm talking about obliterated drunk driving, and I, I always made it home. I always seemed to, to get away with things, and my friends knew that growing up. All my friends growing up would get arrested in and out of jail, going to prison, I mean, shot at, all types of stu- uh, crazy things. I mean, I had friends that even were killed and died, but I never got caught. I never got shot at. I never got, obviously, I'm alive, never got killed, never got hurt. It was uh, There was some type of grace on my life, and I didn't know that um, back then I thought I was just lucky. That's all. I just thought, you know, I'm just lucky. And the, the lifestyle continued, and it never, it never stopped. It always got worse. So now I'm at UCF. Barely made it through my first year, maintained the 2.0, then eventually started taking Adderall. Um, once I got introduced to Adderall and mixing that with alcohol, I became addicted. And now I'm, um, I'm smoking weed, I'm, drink, I'm drinking alcohol four to five days a week minimum, partying all the time, and then taking Adderall to pass tests, midterms, and finals. Um, that lifestyle just kept it kept building up, you know, hitting the gym whenever I could, waking up at 5 o'clock in the afternoon to go to the gym, go drink again, and it was just a lifestyle. Um, and then I, eventually I was like, you know what, I want to change scenery again. I was with this girl, and we were going through a lot of issues. I'm talking about um, all types of abuse, man, on both ways, just a lot of uh, chaos, And because I was in fornication, obviously. I didn't know Christ at all. Um, and this is actually the first time I experienced sleep paralysis twice, actually. I was in my apartment at UCF, and um, I actually experienced um, a, a demon. At the time, I wasn't sure what it was, you know, knocking on my closet door. And I was sleeping, but I was awake, and it scared me. I had so much fear, but that's when, you know, I realized, okay, there's something spiritual going on. When I woke up, I was kind of nervous, but I was like, whatever. Now, the second time was before I left to New York, because now me and my best friend at the time, we wanted to change scenery. So we said, you know what, we're going to get a U-Haul, pack up all our stuff, and we're going to go move to New York at the age of 20 years old. I'm talking about like living in the U-Haul until we find an apartment. We had nothing lined up. They wouldn't accept us because we had no credit at the time, and we just went in faith, um, even though back then I didn't even know what faith meant. I was in my ex-girlfriend's apartment before I, I left to New York, and this is like the first time I had a, a spiritual encounter that woke me up. A demon, an actual demon, and I knew it was this time, was trying to like enter me. Um, I was stuck. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. In my bed, it was about 10 a.m., and I know it was 10 a.m. because the light was out. It was, she, had no, um, she had no blinders because she had just moved in that apartment. And I couldn't move. And I could see everything in the room. My peripherals expanded. It was like my spiritual senses were heightened. And I could see everything in the room, even in the bathroom. And I'm stuck. And I'm scared out of my mind because I can't move. And a demon was coming from the left of me to try to enter me, laughing at me. Literally laughing, like, ha ha, I got you now. And it, and it wasn't audible speaking. It was like more like it was like mind. It was in my mind. It was telepathic, I guess you could say. Mm. 
and um and I was speaking to this like I was like no 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 I was like no no and it was just like I got you it's over, and all I could do at the time because I'm, I'm tears are still coming down my eyes I can't move as I started pr- praying the Lord's the Lord's prayer um you know in the Catholic Church they make you recite these things, and that's that's what I, all I knew so I started saying in my head Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name that can, because I was scared out of my mind and the minute I started praying that prayer as an unbelieving Catholic alcoholic drug addicted terrible person a light came boom and that demon literally got mad and left mm-hmm. and i remember having a conversation with this light for about 20 minutes about how i need to change my life how you need to stop that the consequences of the things that i'm doing the things i'm doing there's consequences and that's why these things are happening and then i remember i, I went back to sleep and woke up weeping crying telling you know my my ex like did you did you not see what just happened? She's like what? I was sleeping. You didn't you, you didn't and you know and I'm freaking out and I'm like did you do this to me? I'm like because you were to the left of me and I'm thinking all this crazy stuff and I just was like I gotta get out of here. I gotta go to New York. And again you think it would stop? It didn't. Went to New York. Now I'm in New York City bouncing in clubs. I'm living in Washington Heights, New York. I went from Brooklyn to Washington Heights. If you know where that's at. I went from Crown Heights to Washington Heights. That's from the hood to the hood. I'm living out there at 20, 20 years old, about to be 21. I got my security license and started bouncing at clubs. So now I'm bouncing at clubs in New York City, downtown Manhattan. I mean, I'm drinking. I'm drinking. Now it's, it's, it's a different lifestyle. Now I'm meeting new people. Now I'm still selling drugs. I'm still robbing. I'm still finessing. I'm robbing. Anything I could do to get that, that adrenaline, that rush to rob, I would do. I'm talking about clothing stores, designer stores, and I was good at it. I had... I had I had this, this strategy. I had demons in me. They, it's it's terrible. I think about it now, and it literally like, I just give. I cry a lot at home. I cry in prayer because of the, of the grace that God had in my life. I'm supposed to be in prison, credit card scamming. I mean everything you could think of, anything to do something bad to get to get over the system. And um, I'm out there, and I started getting real depressed. And that's the first time I got suicidal. I was suicidal. And I'll never forget, I cut off everybody in my life because I was so depressed. I just thought it was, I thought it was my best friend. I thought it was my ex. I thought it was this person. I had so much paranoia. I had so much chaos. I just cut everybody off and isolated myself. And that's the first time I contemplated suicide. I remember I was in my apartment and I thought about it like I felt so much depression. I said, you know what? It's better to just die than be like this. I was depressed, like I said, and out of nowhere I heard Richard. I heard a voice literally say, Richard. And it brought so much life to my, like, to my spirit, like, to my soul. It brought so much joy. And I freaked out. Like, who was that at the time? Because I didn't know Christ. I thought it was my dead uncle. Mm. So I'm like, that was my dead uncle. It had to be like, oh, my gosh. Like, and I got so encouraged to keep going. This is around the time, again, I cut off my friend. I had cousins who were going to prison. Um, I mean, like, a lot of chaos was going in my, li- like, in my life. My friends, I mean, people around me are dying. Like, it was, it was chaotic that I just was like, I got to get out of New York. So like I'm going to the military. So I went to um, Fordham to go sign up, and I, you know, I told the recruiter, look, I've been arrested. I had got arrested in Orlando for disorderly intoxication, for um, for resisting arrest, fighting cops at a club. I said I got a record. I got arrested once. I got a bunch of speeding tickets. Um, I just was honest with him. I was like, I, I smoke. I drink. Um, what do I got to do to get in? He was like, Well, you got to keep coming. You got to stop smoking. Stop drinking. We're gonna figure out what we can do. He pulled up my rap, my rap sheet and everything. He was like, Man, it's gonna be almost impossible. But we're going to try to get you in. Take the ASVAB. I take the ASVAB. I got a pretty high score. I got an 81 out of 100, which qualified me for almost every job in the military. And that's when he said, okay, we can work with this. The Air Force would not accept me, but the Navy did. And he got me in. And through halfway through the process of when I'm supposed to leave on July 5th, 2012, I just backed out. 
it was um, a few months before I just stopped answering his calls. I stopped going. I was like, I'm not going to the military. This is whack. I'm making money now. I'm in New York City. I got all these connections. I'm, st- I'm, in, now, I'm, I'm in the streets, and, and I'm bouncing at clubs. I was like, I can go to, to college at CUNY in New York, and I could live a double life again, and I could figure something out. And I just I deaded him. And he, um, and he just kept pursuing me, calling me, voice messages, voice messages. A week before I was supposed to go, July 5th, a week before I went, he showed up to my apartment in New York City. Um, in the Heights, in the hood, which nobody really goes to, he showed up knocking on my door. And he was like, man, I came here. I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, why'd you come? He's like, look, I just, I feel like you need to go. I'm like, look, I got an apartment. I got a lease. I got all this stuff. He's like, I'll take your lease. He literally took over my lease. Like, this is a recruiting, you know, you know, recruiting petty officer in the United States military. Took over my lease. I told him I had TVs. I don't know what to do. He bought my TVs. I mean, just straight grace. Like, I just was like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, why does, like, I can't be worth that much. Like, and now that I, you know, I've been in the military, I know it wasn't quota because quota, like, it was, it was, it was his heart for me. Like, he actually felt like I needed to go. And I was like, all right, bro, I'm going to go. You came here for a reason. I'm just going to go. So I got drunk the night before I left, talked to all these girls. I invited all these girls over like, hey, I'm about to leave. You know, my friend, we just drinking all night and I didn't sleep and went to the Navy. Didn't, and that was a big awakening for me, like rude awakening. Two months in boot camp, the rebellious person I was, having drill, drill sergeants yell at you and tell you to, you know, cursing you out and telling you to do push-ups and run and you, you don't sleep at night. It was, it was, it was hard. I made it through boot camp barely by God's grace. And then that's when I, I, I joined the fleet of the United States Navy as an air traffic controller. I did seven years in the military and I traveled the world. I went to, I lived in Greece. I mean, I was stationed in New Jersey. So I was stationed in New Jersey first. I was going to New York City, Philly, and New Jersey every weekend drinking Atlantic City, um, Philadelphia, if you know if you know where Center City is, New York, um, still partying with all my friends for four years. I left there, went to Greece, um, in Greece, partied some more. But in Greece is when I started like seeking something deeper, because this is when I um I, I had, had had an experience on LSD. My, actually, my blood brother, who was now saved, he came to Christ, had offered it to me and, and with, the, with the right heart, like, hey man, this will change you, this will get you, this because like everyone knew me as a reckless person, like man, like one day I'm this guy's gonna go to prison. I was always that guy, getting away, getting away, getting away. I'm in the military selling drugs, so like in the military it didn't stop me. I thought it was better now because I had the uniform, I had the connections, so now I can sell drugs and no one would ever think about it. So all my friends in the streets were like, man, this dude's crazy, but they trusted me because they knew who I was. I had street credibility. So now I'm moving pounds of marijuana, pounds of marijuana, like a lot, through the mail. And so my brother, you know, loving me so much, you know, he thought maybe if he takes LSD, he'll change because people in New Age and, and people in the, that psychedelic realm, they think that's, that, that LSD or shrooms will make you a better person. All you're doing is accessing the spirit realm illegally. So I took the LSD and I had a spiritual experience. And that's when I realized how real the spirit realm really was. It scared me. It scared me so bad. Um, I got depressed again. So when I went to Greece, it's when I started really seeking God. I started um, seeking the higher power. I didn't know who he was. That's when I started crying out. Like I had this experience on LSD. I don't know what the purpose of life is. I'm, I'm always seeking something. I've had all these women. I've had, I've had all this money. I've had all this success. What do I do? And um, I started crying out to the higher power. And I was on the island of Crete in Greece. And I'll never forget it. It was like a movie scene. You see the the moon, the mountains, the, the moon lighting up the mountains. And I'm at the beach. All my friends are in the club getting drunk. And I decided, hey, I'm going to go to the beach. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call upon whoever the higher power is. And I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know anything. 
I went out there profusely crying, just screaming, who are you? What's the purpose of life? Who are you? What's the purpose of all this? I need to know when I'm screaming. And I heard a voice say, I'm going to show you now. That same voice I heard in New York when I was suicidal. And again, I freaked out. Like, did I really just hear that? What's going on? And I just stopped and I, you know, I paused and I was just meditating on it. Like, what did I just hear? Am I tripping? And when my friends came out of the club, you know, drunk, I told them and they were like, bro, you're tripping, man. You need a drink. Just get out get over it. What's wrong with you, bro? And I'm like, maybe I'm tripping, whatever. So I left Greece. And again, when I was in Greece, before I left, I traveled all over. I went to, I went to Barcelona. I went to Paris. I went to Amsterdam. I went to Prague. I was, I was in and out of London on weekends. I would go to London on the weekends because the tickets out there were cheap. I went to, you know, Santorini, to Athens. I mean, so many different places in, in Europe. I traveled. I was well-traveled. Germany. I went to Berlin. I went to Frankfurt. But um, all the traveling didn't fulfill me. I thought, you know, growing up that maybe if I traveled and went to these places, it'll fulfill me. But it didn't at all. Like, it was, that's what made it worse. That's what made me call out to the higher power. So I left Greece and I went, I went to California. So now I'm scheming even more. Now I'm like, okay, I'm going to Cali. I know that Cali's the mecca for marijuana. I have a bunch of friends who sell weed. Weed isn't as bad as Molly and cocaine, which I've sold in the past. And, um, and I've sold lean, I've sold pills, all that. I was like, this is actually herb and it's good for you. It's medicinal. Maybe if I do this, you know, this will be better because now I'm spiritual. Now I've had my LSD experience. I'm really reading books on philosophy. I'm doing yoga, hot hatha, vinyasa, um, ashtanga, bikram, all types of yoga and doing ohms. Now I'm on this spiritual journey after this LSD trip. And I'm like, Cali's the perfect place. And all my friends told me about a place named Humboldt, Humboldt, California, which is three hours north of the bay. And that if I, if I went there, I would find the plug. That's where all the growers are at, but it's called Murder Mountain. If you go in there, you don't come back. Most people die out there because there's no cell phone service. It's a bunch of hillbillies out there, Asian mafia, Mexican mafia. This is where all the big drug dealers in the city will hire people to go out there and grow their weed. So I was like, man, but I can go find one. And I got to Cali. And again, just in my reckless faith that I had, I still had the gift of faith back then, but I was using it for the devil. I took my money, thousands of dollars. I took my pistol. In my uniform, drove from San Diego, California to Humboldt. If you guys know how far that is, it's, it's, it's pretty far. I flew to the Bay and I drove to Humboldt, but then I drove back from um, the Bay to San Diego. But in Humboldt, California, when I got there, I just went in faith with my rental car and two totes, big totes in the back. And I just went to this grow up. Um, they told me there's a place on Rattlesnake Road, it's called, where there's a bunch of Asians that sell this cheap weed. I mean, crazy margins of profit. I'm talking about like six, 700% margins. Like, I'm not going to get into details about how much. I don't want to teach anybody that stuff. I don't glorify it. But I went out there in faith and I just brought my money. I think it was about thirty to 50000 that I had, I had acquired through, you know, just little little drug deals just to, to get to that point. I saw the Asians. I saw, I saw the grow operation. I saw how it was fenced off. I saw how they had the pickup trucks going in and out. I saw like there, were, there was the Asian mafia and I just stood I got out the car and I stood in front of my truck and I just started waving my money. So cars were passing by and they're just staring at me like they wanted to kill me. And I was just like, I, I, I'm just going to, it's either going to be a shootout or I'm going to get this weed. And one couple stopped. It was an old couple, Asian couple. And they said, what are you doing? Come here, come here, come here. And I told them, I was like, I need weed and here's my money. And they were like, you're crazy. You're crazy. All right, come on. And they brought me in and um, this is not a lie at all. This is the truth. I literally got sat down. They got me a chair. And I seen all these Asians and they were cutting the weed, trimming the weed, growing it, all that. And they just brought a whole bunch of bags. They dug up from the ground bags. They had buried old weed from last year, which was still really good at the time. And new weed, all this stuff. And I got the craziest prices. I mean, I hit the jackpot. 
Hmm. So now I'm like, it's over. Like I'm the plug. I don't have no more middlemen. Like I'm the man, I'm the supplier now. And I told all my friends, people that I used to buy from are now buying from me. Now I'm, I'm fronting, no problem. I had, I create a, a whole demonic drug operation apostolic, like apostolically for the devil was built. And now I had, um, I started creating drug, drug holes around the U.S. So I was putting people on that never sold drugs. I was teaching them, my friends, my, even my family, you know, people I love that I'm not, were involved. I'm not going to mention, but because some people that I love that are, are still involved, I was deep in it and, um, I started making a lot of money. I was making over a hundred grand a month at this point. Um, this is when I started investing deeper in, in cryptocurrency. This is when it got crazy because now I had the traveling, the woman, you know, and and I had money before, but now it was real money. Now we're talking about money that I've never touched. I bought two properties. I had one rented out. I had a condo on the hill of in, in La Mesa near SDSU in um, California that I bought. Now I, I got my seller's license so I can go and get cars at the auction to, to launder money. Uh, you see, like I was I was moving smart with it, but um I was depressed again. I was really down because I'm like, man, all this money now. Now the money's not answering it either mm. because I'm making all this money, but now I'm more stressed. Now I'm paranoid, thinking about the feds running in because I'm still in the military. I gotta get out the military before I get caught. I'm just like freaking out. I'm thinking my friends are against me, and this is where it got real because I moved all my marijuana through the mail, everything. And this is when it got real. A package went missing. And it was a package for about $20,000. At that time, it meant nothing. I mean, that was nothing. I was making so much money. But because of my pride, I just was like, I need to figure this out. And it was around the 4th of July of uh, 2019. And this is when I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. Like, who, who stole my package? And I was so reckless because the girl I was dating at the time, and I had many girls, but the one I liked the most, she was like, just let it go. Let it go. Don't worry about it. It could be the feds. And I was like, no, I've been 100% in the mail. I got this unlocked. I got this whole system. It has to be somebody inside because I knew about the dark web. I knew how the dark web works. I, I've been on the dark web. I've seen things. I've even bought stuff, bought stuff off the dark web. And I know people, they go on the dark web to, to, to infiltrate within. And this is when I um started. I, I wanted to find out so bad. I asked the girl I was dating, hey, you've talked to me about voodoo in the past and witchcraft. Can the person you know that does witchcraft, the voodoo priest, help me figure this out? If this is real, like y'all say, because people always say this so real, I'm like, then, then he'll, he should tell me how much it costs. She was like, you're crazy, but all right, I'll give him a call. And she said, okay, well, um, let, me call, let me call my cousin. Her cousin's a voodoo priest in Haiti. I was like, all right, call him. And he said on the phone in Creole to her, he has to come to Haiti if he wants any answers. And she thought, that's it. Like, he's not going to go. You know, this guy's not going to go. And in Haiti, they call um, Americans or someone that's not Haitian a blanc, which means like a gringo in Spanish. And I just, I was like, all right, let's go. So we bought the ticket. She thought I was crazy. She tried to get me to back out. I was like, nah, we're going. And bring your parents too. Tell them to come. We went. We went to Haiti. We went to, um, flew into Port-au-Prince. It is a third world country. It is ex very bad, extremely ghetto. I did not think it was like that because I traveled in Europe and I went to some poor places. But that is... By far the the poorest place I've ever been, and when I flew into Jock Mel, we had to we I mean to, to Port au Prince. When I flew into Port au Prince, we had to drive all the way to Jock Mel. If you know where that's at, it's about three hours away. Jock Mel is one of the most known areas for voodoo. I went out there to see the voodoo priest, and um, when I went out there, I paid him the money. He started reading my cards. He started he started doing all these crazy rituals, putting on an outfit, chugging alcohol, smoking a cigar, summoning demons into his body. I didn't know they were demons. They call them ancestral spirits. So I'm watching all this. I'm seeing the tarot cards, and he's reading things about my past spot on. I mean, like things that really happened that nobody could have just known. 
so at that point, it's like it's like I started believing because of the truth. Mm-hmm. He was telling me true things that happened. But if you know about witchcraft, the devil knows your past, but he can't know the future. Only God does. I didn't know this. So I'm listening like, man, what? Like, okay. And I start asking questions and engaging and he's telling me things. And, you know, the demon's speaking through his body. Like before he, the, before he does anything, he has to drink, smoke and do a ritual and dance so the demon will possess him. And you'll see his face, everything, his facial, uh, facial expressions, everything changes. And the mm-hmm. spirit will speak through him. And I'm just looking at this guy like, okay, um, what else? And he's telling me things. I'm like, who stole my package? He's like, I'm going to tell you, but first you got to do this and we got to do this and you need to go get this and all these supplies and we have to go to another hut. They had these red huts. It was on a property. It was so demonic. I'm talking about human skulls in the hut, animals that they would sacrifice just roaming around like a whole altar. Like I'm talking about like voodoo dolls, like the whole nine, disgusting. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like gruesome. I'm in, I'm in their real tents, but I'm just watching him do his stuff and he's writing on a piece of paper and they're doing a whole bunch of rituals. He told me when you get back to Florida or to California, when you get back, you're going to find out. And I was like, okay, well, all right, I guess that's it. After seeing all that for about three days of seeing all the voodoo and everything in Haiti, and by the way, Haiti's a beautiful country. The food's amazing. Um, it's not Haiti that's the issue. It's the witchcraft in Haiti. If you guys study the history of Haiti, they, they did a voodoo ritual to get, um, to get their independence. It's actually known in Haiti, um, which is sad. There's a demonic altar set up out, out there. It's crazy, but... um. I left Haiti and I still have, I still was doubtful. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't think no one's going to just snitch on themselves. Like, uh, I don't know. And that's when everything began. So my friends started distancing themselves from me. People would say certain things real quick and regret saying it. And I'm like, wait, did my friends rob me? And I'm starting to think everyone that was closest to me, my blood brother, my best friends, I'm talking about people I love were all against me. Again, like ha- what happened in New York that same thing was happening, but this time it's worse because now I have money, now I have power, now I have weapons, now I know people, now, you know what I'm saying? So like now I, I went down this crazy path and I was like, well, I'm going to keep seeking spiritualists. I went to an um, Indian medium in, in San Diego who told me a bunch of true things as well. But what they do in voodoo and witchcraft is they'll tell you true things about your past, spot on, and then lie to you. They'll tell you, oh, this person's against you and you need to give me this amount of money in order for it to break. But what you're doing is you're coming in agreement and you're actually putting witchcraft on someone who probably didn't do anything to you. But I didn't know this. So I'm going to the mediums. I'm going to the psychics. I'm going to more voodoo priests. I'm going to to witches. I'm, I'm all in. Now I'm just, I don't care about the package. I don't care about the money. Now what I care about is finding out like what's true because I'm like, this stuff is real. Like they're telling me true things. Like what if this is what I'm called to do myself? Because they're telling me things like, "Hey, and you're you're called to be a warlock. You're called to be a you're called to be a dual inducted warlock. And this is your ancestors. And and, and, and your great grandmother was a witch. And, and they tell you all these things just to like to get you to believe this because they want the devil wants to use you, right. especially when he sees the gifts on your life and the call on your life. The demons know before even we do because they can see in the spirit realm. So, anyways, I'm I'm seeking. I'm seeking. I went to New Orleans, and this is when it got even realer. I went to a, a warlock out there in New Orleans and he was training me up because I met him. He said, you know, he said the same things that all the other ones said and said, I need to train you. I'm the one that's called to train you a Puerto Rican guy. And I literally, as he's saying these things and I'm learning from him different things, Solange Knowles walks in, Beyonce's sister, into that little, it's called the Botanica, a little witchcraft store. Solange Knowles, Beyonce's sister walks in with her boyfriend and I'm like, Am I, is this a dream? And I'm, is this Solange? No, he's like, yeah, she comes here regularly. We do rituals for her and her family. And I'm just like, what? 
like the nose. Like, yeah, man, this is real. And she's buying product and, and paying for rituals. And I'm like, this might be my call. This, this might be my purpose. This might be it. Because, again, I'm seeking the purpose of life. That's the root to all this is the, what's the purpose of life? So as I'm, I'm, I'm learning all these things, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to Haiti and I'm going to Puerto Rico. They told me I had to go to a cemetery and I had to be in, in a cemetery for two weeks in each island. And I had to like literally do dances and rituals. And, and they said they were going to like literally torture you, like whip you. And you got to go through the process in order to become a warlock. And I was like, all right, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, this is when God started moving. Because as I agreed to do this, I was supposed to leave in October. And how old were you at this time, Richard, when you started to really go deep into this stuff? I was 29 years old, 29 oh. years old. So, yep, 2019, and it was a very fast process. And um, also, not, not only did I study witchcraft, I was studying Islam because I was studying all these religions. Mm-hmm. Because all these, these, these demons that would speak to them, would speak through them, would speak about different religions, like Buddhism. They would always glorify Buddhism, Islam, but they would never glorify Christianity. Mm. But I, I didn't think about that. Because if you, if you know about Buddhism, they talk about a Christ conscious, and Islam, that they say Jesus is a prophet. So it's like, I didn't put two and two together until time started going by, because I didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't, I, I didn't feel like it was it. So now I'm like, okay, well, I need to get more supplies. I'm going to stores buying crystals. Not the little crystals on the neck that people have, the big crystals, the thousands of dollars worth of crystals. Like I had them all in my apartment. I had an altar with statues. I was wearing about five to six different beads, which represented different ancestral spirits, demons with different colors. I mean, I had sage, all types of sage, Florida water. I was taking ritual baths, like with herbs and different things and doing rituals. And I was doing these things for protection on my home, thinking that my friends were against me because they were telling me that. And I, but really what I was doing was, was actually welcoming, welcoming, welcoming in demons. I was welcoming them. I was welcoming them. Welcoming them to, wait, I'm done. All right. I would let them in. To the witchcraft and um and, and now was this was this all part of the the warlock training? Yes, this is all the stuff they would tell me to get. Every time I would see them, they would say, "Buy this and buy this. Put this in your home. Do this ritual." They, I mean, they had like I'm talking about the whole sheet with the step by step instructions. They had wow. an instructional guide. Hmm. They would tell me to do this at night and do this. They would say, you know, get a pineapple and 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 get 55 cents and or whatever the cents was and go put it at an intersection. And when you drive by, don't look back or, or, or else this will happen to you. And I was doing these things thinking I was protecting myself and, and being trained up and getting prepared. I was going through like preparation for boot camp and the cemeteries, right? And um, I'm doing these things, but life's, life is getting worse. So the girl that I was dating, right, the one that introduced me, she was with me this entire time. We left California. We moved to Jupiter Beach because she got pregnant with my first child. And I, I figured, you know what, let's be close to family in Fort Lauderdale. That'd be better but not too close. So we moved to West Palm area, Palm Beach area and Jupiter Beach. And that's when, um, you know, she was going through it. I was putting her through so much. I would, I would say like, she's probably doing witchcraft on me. I would accuse her. I would like be like, man, you don't know this. You don't know that. And, and she was going through so much. She almost left me so many times, but by the grace of God, she would stay with me. She would stay with me. I, would, I was putting her through so much. And she was just fed up with it. She was just like, just stop. You're always looking for something new. Like, just stop. Just give up. And she was just so like, just like going, like in chaos. She's pregnant with her first child too. And, Hmm. you know, she's going through it. As I'm seeking and seeking and seeking, I kept saying to the higher power, I was like, show me more. Show me more. Show me more. I thought I was on the right path. I thought that this was the higher power wanting me to do these things. And show me more. Show me more. And eventually the father, the Bible says the father, 
No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him in. Right. So this is when he was like, it's time. Now I started encountering Christians. So my first encounter was in a liquor store on Halloween. I was in the liquor store, and I was trying to start a business, a wine bar, with these Indians. I was um, just proposing the idea. We, were, we had been meeting every day, and um, a guy walked in, and his name was Richard. That's my name, right? White guy in his 40s just walked in. We're, at, we're near PGA. It's a really rich area. And he just was like, you got a light on you. You got a light on you. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're like an angel. He's like, look at me. I just got saved. Jesus saved me. And, and I just want to invite you to my house. And I'm like, bro, what is wrong with this guy? But I'm thinking in my mind, okay, we're in PGA, all multimillionaires. And I'm like, business opportunity. Okay. I'm like, sure. It's Halloween. He, he was coming to get alcohol again. New baby Christian. So he didn't really know better. And by the way, he's on fire still to this day. But um, he invited me to his house, multi-million dollar house. I'm talking about at least 10 million on the water. He got boats and all that stuff. And I went with my girlfriend and I'm like, all right, let's go see what's going on. All right. And we walk in there and there's all these, you know, prestige people, lawyers, doctors, you know, politicians, um, you know, police, whatever. They just stayed focused on us. They were like kind of ignoring the party. They, and this is their party. This is their house. And they're just like, we just, we love you so much. And this guy would just keep crying. And I'm like, what's wrong with this guy? Why does he keep crying? And they were just too nice. And I, I'm trying to ask him about his business with real estate because he had a very successful real estate company. And he just keeps like deflecting it. Like, don't worry about that. Like, like man, let's talk about the Bible. And I'm just like, bro. I looked at my, my girl at the time, and I'm like, they got to be swingers. Like, this is weird. We got to go. And there, she was like, yeah, there's, that, that's the only thing I could think of, too. Like, they're probably swingers. They're too nice to us. So we left, and I was like, forget this. This guy would not stop texting me. He would text me almost every day, come to my church, come to my church, come to And I would just be like, man, forget this guy, man. I would just ignore his texts. And also, the next, so the next encounter um, was a barber. So I had to get a new barber. I'm in a new city, and um, I, it was recommended to, me, recommended to me through somebody to go to this barber named Paul, right? Go figure. So I go to this barber shop, and he's giving me a cut first time, and he's playing Christian rap, right? And I'm like, man, what is this? He's like, it's Christian rap. Oh, okay, you ever heard about Nipsey Hussle? And he's like, yeah, I heard about him, man, but I don't listen to that crap. Like, I, it's, it's whack to me. And I'm like, what? Nipsey? Nipsey, come on, man. He's, he's he's deep, man. Like he's he, he like he's woke. He's like, man, nah. I listen to, I listen to Christian music, man. I'm a, um I love Jesus and and I listen to Christian rap. And I was trying to convince him the entire time, trying to convince him that it's not Christianity. I was telling him about the voodoo I was doing, like what I believed in, and all this. And he just stayed strong on his faith. And he would just always be like, nah, man, it's Jesus. Nah, man. It's, and I'd be like, come on, put on some nip. He'd be like, nah. He was actually getting kind of frustrated, but he stayed patient in the spirit cut my hair up showed me so much love i blessed him and i just was like man this you know this older black guy you know who looked hip he had the clothes like he, he didn't look like the average christian was so strong in his faith and i was like okay that's a, that's just a coincidence like it, 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 that's whatever okay so i'm at home and um at this time i was learning chakra balancing i actually was being trained up by a shaman um, at a crystal shop, um, they were having workshops, a, sh a, a famous shaman from Brazil, and I was going um, every day learning about chakra balancing. I was actually balancing chakras over people. And um, I was and at this, home. This, this was different from the warlock training? Was, was yes. this just something that you were additionally interested in? I was in? additionally interested. I kept seeking. I kept seeking. Yeah. I was like, I want to learn more. I was yeah. preparing for when I went to Haiti and when I went to Puerto Rico. I was just always trying to learn more. It was from a crystal shop that I shopped at. They had a, a, a conference. Uh, they had a seminar type of thing where he came and he taught people how to do um, chakra balancing. I paid the money. I forgot how much it was, like five, six hundred. I paid it. 
he was teaching me all this. I mean, breath work. This is when I learned about breath work, which is extremely demonic. I was learning about breath work, how to, like, you do a whole bunch of breath exercises, and it's supposed to help you get freed from or whatever. But it's honestly just demons. They're just manifesting. You never see people get delivered. And I was learning breath work, chakra balancing. Um, this is where I was learning more about sage, Indian, more of the Cherokee, Indian, and Syrian Indian practices, which is shamanism. And he was talking to me. And it's like every warlock in which I went to always said, like, you're supposed to be trained under me. They were all trying to put me under their covering. And um, this is when it got real because um, when I went home, I was on YouTube looking up um, chakra balancing, some more just learning. I saw a video that said Reiki healer delivered from demons. And I'm just like, what? A Reiki healer, which is pretty much like similar to chakra balancing, got delivered from demons. I'm like, what? And I clicked on the video and it was a video from... Um, the last reformation with uh, Torben Sandergaard was a powerful man of God. He's actually locked up right now for the, uh, for, you know, wrongfully, but kind of like Paul in the Bible. I saw the video and he was casting demons out of a witch. And this lady's testifying on video saying, I got delivered. I was a Reiki healer for doing, you know, chakra balancing, sage, all that stuff, crystals for over 10 years. And she was just like, and I got delivered from demons. I got baptized. Torben took her to the streets and she was evangelizing the day she was saved praying for people they were getting healed and i'm just like what is this christians have power and i called my girl like come here look at this you see this what like this can't be real no way and again i'm still seeking it was like i, I kept wanting more and most people in new age and witchcraft are the same way you never see them stop they never come to this conclusion they're always looking for something different right. because they're not fulfilled they don't know the, they don't know their purpose they don't have christ they're not filled with the holy spirit so they had a map, a road map on there, and I hit up somebody on the road map that was in West Palm Beach area, this little um, young, not, not, not young, small, small white lady named um, Sharon, and she just was so spirit-filled. I was telling her everything I was doing, and she was just like, it's Jesus, like, I'm just letting you know there is power in Christ. Like, you can cast out demons, you can heal the sick, you can speak in tongues, which is, you know, Mark 16 talks about that. And I'm just like, what is this lady talking about? And why does she keep praying for me? And when she prays for me, why do I keep feeling something? I kept feeling something. And I'm like, what is this? And as she would pray for me on the phone, on speaker, I would literally see shadows in my house moving. So I was, uh, this is when it got real. I'm like, wait, hold up. Is it Christianity? No way. It can't be because I was raised Catholic. So my whole perception or my perspective on Christianity, on Jesus, was the Catholic Church. And I was like, no, 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 this can't be true. And she was telling me, you can't fornicate with your girl. You can't be in fornication. You're in, you're, you're, it's wrong. You, gotta, you, you can't do this. And I'm like, this lady's saying I can't sleep with women. I, I got to wait till I'm married to have sex. This is crazy. But, but, I, but, but there's power. So the guy Richard kept texting me, like I said. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to this guy's church. If Christianity is real, I'm going to go. And he was um, part of a, a powerful church out in um, West Palm. It's more of like a worship family church. And I went out there, and um, when I walked in, I just felt the atmosphere. And this guy was so excited. When I came, he was there early, like, you're here. You finally made it. All right, come on. Come on. Come with me. We're going to get front row seats. I'm a, and I'm just like, man, come on, bro. Like, and I'm in bed. I'm like putting my head down, like, okay, where am I at? Like, okay, I've never been in a Christian church. This doesn't look like the Catholic church. And I'm walking in with my girl, and we sit in the front, and I look up on the stage, and guess who's, who's the lead worshiper playing the guitar? Paul from the barbershop. And I'm like, Richard, do you know that guy? He's like, nah. He's our lead worshiper. I don't know him, though. What? What? And I'm like, that's the... no, no way. And I'm like, I'm just like freaked out at this point. Like, like, what are the chances? It's super coincidental. No way. And they played Reckless Love. 
I got wrecked. That's the first time I felt the presence of God is when they they played Reckless Love, how he leaves the 99 for the one. Because as they were singing it, I felt the presence of God as they were worshiping. And I looked over at Richard and he just pointed at me and said, that's you. You're the one. And I was just, I fell down. I'm crying. The pastors actually came over. They laid hands on me and they prayed for me. And I'm crying. And that was like my first encounter that led me to start really seeking Jesus. And I'm like, okay. So I call up the lady Sharon. I'm like, Sharon, what do I do? She's like, get a Bible. So I order a Bible on Amazon. It comes in. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to read this Bible. It's midweek, like a Tuesday, Wednesday. I got the, it came in through Amazon. I was like, all right, I'm going to, my, 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 my girl's at work. I'm going to go by the lake in our neighborhood, beautiful little pond area, and I'm just going to read the Bible for the first time. And I go out there. As I'm about to open the Bible for the first time, a guy walking his dog just stops and says, hey, what's that? I'm like, it's a Bible. You can see it's a Bible. He's like, oh, okay, cool. He sits down. He's like, well, I'm a pastor, and I, I, te- I do Bible studies. I'm like, oh, my. It just didn't stop. I'm like, okay, well, why? Like, in my head, I'm like, why is this guy stopping, and why does he care so much? All right. And I'm just like, so what do I do? He's like, okay, started in the book of Romans, and he's teaching me things, and I'm telling him about the voodoo. I'm telling him about the witchcraft. I'm telling him about my altars. He was like, get rid of that stuff, man. And I'm like, what do I do? Like, how do I fight those demons, though? They're going to try to come back and get me. Like, like that, that's what happens. Like, you got to keep doing rituals and sage to keep them out. He's like, no, it's just the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. What? He's like, yeah, just go in your house or your apartment and just say Jesus. Jesus' name is strong. And I'm like, this guy is crazy, but he's so confident. Like, all right. He said, start in the book of Romans. And he gave me his number. And I went back to my house or my apartment, I'm sorry. And I started reading the book of Romans. And I just remember saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I literally was seeing shadows. And it kept scaring me into like a like uh like okay i gotta seek this this higher power and i'm reading the book of romans and it convicted me it convicted me so much that it was it was unbearable and halfway through the book of romans i'll never forget it december 1st 2019 halfway through the book of romans i finally came to the revelation that jesus christ is the highest power like he's lord right lord means master if you look it up the um in the greek it means master so I was like, he's the highest power. That's what, it, that's what it essentially means, is that he's the Lord. He's the highest power. Hosanna in the highest. So I was just like, it's Jesus. He's, he's, it's Jesus. And when I said it out of my mouth, and I really believed it in my heart, and I didn't say it like Romans 10, 9 exactly. I said it with the intention in my heart that he's really the highest power, and I meant it. I got encountered by Jesus in my apartment. All I remember is a light came from and I got knocked to the ground. That same light that helped me out with the sleep paralysis. That same voice that helped me out in New York when I was going to commit suicide. That same voice that told me I'm going to show you now in Greece. Knocked me down to the ground. He didn't say anything this time. And, and Richard, this time, was this similar to the dream that you had? Or was this in real life, real this time? This is in real life. I wasn't in a trance. I wasn't in a vision. This is like in the physical. I got literally knocked down to the ground. Like it was, it was like the light was so... It was too strong. Like, I just, I couldn't, like, I just got, I got, I curled up in a ball and I was shaking and I was manifesting demons. I was crying profusely, coughing up. <clears throat> like just, I felt like things were coming out of me. And then as things started coming out of me, I began to speak in a dialect, like, in tongues. And I'm like, why am I doing this? But it felt so, like, from my belly, I felt like I had to do it. And it felt like, like liberating in a way. And I'm speaking in tongues. And I just got, and I stopped. And this is like 20 minutes later. And it's like I came back to reality. Like I'm just like, and I felt the most overwhelming peace that I've never had. It was finally, 
it came, the purpose of life. It came, everything I was looking for. It was like, it just, that's it. It wasn't knowledge. It was my, my spirit and my soul. I just knew it's Jesus. And I just was like, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I just can't, I couldn't stop saying it's Jesus. I had the power of the Holy Spirit in me, his love in me, his peace in me, his joy, everything in me. Like now I had fulfillment. I felt fulfilled. I called up Sharon. I told her what happened. She's saying, hallelujah, praise God. She's praying more. I'm like, and I'm like, okay, now I got to get rid of everything. Like now it's time. Like I got to get rid of all my altars. I got to get rid of all my crystals. I had Egyptian crosses. I mean, the, I had like all types of stuff. Like it was pure gold. And I was like, I don't care. I'm not pawning it. I'm getting rid of everything. I was so radically encountered by Christ that I was like everything's gone everything and I'm just asking questions like is this demonic is this demonic is this demonic and I got a big old bag and I put everything in it and I told my girl when she came home from work it's Jesus she's like what is Jesus now I can't believe it and I'm like and we can't sleep in the same bed hmm. she's like what and she starts cursing me out like you put me through so much now you can't even sleep in the bed now I'm not your girlfriend what are you talking about I'm like look there's no girlfriend and boyfriend in Christ like this is what the lady told me like I can't do this like I gotta sleep in the other room I sleep on the floor I don't care and she's just like what's wrong with it she was pissed off and she just was like okay whatever like I, she just was riding she was like all right and I was like okay and also I'm going to the wildlife preserve behind the neighborhood and I'm gonna burn all this tonight I'm gonna create a bonfire back there she's like it's illegal I was like I don't care I'm getting rid of all this and at night, she actually came with me. It's crazy. She came with me, and we went back there. I had my gun and a machete just in case because it's a whole bunch of wildlife animals. Who, who knows who's back there? And I made a bonfire, and I burned everything. And we saw so many spiritual things back there. Yeah. We saw, again, the, the shadows moving. We, we were feeling things. And when the, all that stuff burned, we just we turned away and never looked back. Like, we, we walked back to the apartment, and that's when I was like, it's time, like, I told her, like, I can't be with you and I can't marry you. I can't be unequally yoked. This woman said, named Sharon, like, you have to be saved if, if, like, we even consider marriage. And I was like, and I don't know, and I'm sorry. And she's just crying. And I'm like, I know you're seven months pregnant with our child. This is our first child, but I got to do the right thing. I was like, yo, it is Jesus for real. Like, it's Jesus. And she's just crying. And she was like, whatever. And she went, you know, to her room. That night was the first time I gave up pornography. I've been watching porn my whole life. All these women, sex, all these things. Like, it was a normal thing. I said, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I'm not watching porn. I'm not having sex until marriage. I'm done. And that night in my bed, I'll never forget. I seen, I seen two shadows, two demons, next to my bed. And now I know incubus and succubus. And they were by my bed. And I felt this overwhelming feeling of lust to watch porn or, like, to go sleep with some, a woman. And I said no. And I was shaking in my bed. And I just screamed upon the name of Jesus like that guy told me to do. And I got knocked out and went to sleep. I woke up and I, since that day, I have never had an urge to watch porn or be another woman again. It was, that was it. Like I literally got delivered. Like that feeling I used to have in my stomach, it was just gone. And since by the grace of God, from that day, I have never watched porn on my, on my walk. And I thank God for that. Now, Richard, after you burn all of the witchcraft, normally what we hear in testimonies is uh, there's a retaliation that happens. A lot of the times when people do this, though, they think that, you know, well, everything is going to be fine. I'm walking with Jesus now. Everything is going to be good and dandy. But for you specifically, as now you're walking with God, you've burned the witchcraft. What did that process look like for you? What did that retaliation look for you if there was any? Everything got heightened spiritually. That's when it really got real. So the first, um, I would say, encounter of backlash was actually with my girl friend at the time she uh about a few days later after i gave up the porn and everything 
I, I was sleeping one night in the other room, and I heard her scream, ah, and I ran over really quick, and she was crying, shaking, pregnant again, seven months pregnant. I just seen two demons, and one of them looked exactly like you, and they were trying to have sex with me. So remember what I, t I said before, those two spirits were by my bed that I got delivered from. Mm. Now they were trying to attack her. Obviously, I had a soul tie with her, the fornication, all that stuff. And I just kept saying, Jesus, I would walk around and say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I just didn't know what to do. I would just say, Jesus, Jesus, like, leave, like, Jesus, leave. Like, I was just, I didn't know, I didn't know how to pray other than just use the name of Jesus, which is still powerful. And she got scared out of her mind. That actually led her to get into the Bible and read the book of Romans. Mm. And then about a week later, she had an encounter with Christ. Wow. And that's when, that's when everything, again, began to just heighten. So now... Now that we both got saved, we needed more deliverance. We we needed discipleship. We needed a lot of we, need, we needed more fellowship. And this is when COVID hit bad. So we were dealing with a lot of demonic attacks. I'm talking about black cats showing up at our front door. I'm talking about like witches like coming to our apartment trying to speak to us. People like the the, the warlock that was training me up calling me like consistently, me not answering the phone. It was, it got real. Like, it got really real. Our family completely just, at the time, were good now. They went against us. Mm -hmm. My family didn't want me to marry her. Her family didn't want me to, want her to marry me. And we're, we're talking about marriage now because now she's saved. I pretty much said, like, hey, look, we got to see some fruit for at least a month. I got to make sure that you're really saved and you're not faking it. And we went to some ministries. We got some more deliverance. She She got encountered again at a at a, a ministry where they called her out and they specifically the the man of god the pastor said that she had a specific tattoo that she had that her, she dealt with some issues in the past with her father specific things she got delivered um and at that spot some more and i mean i was i was learning more as well hmm. and that's that lady sharon was discipling us she was showing up she was praying for us we were going to hit her church but the warfare was crazy i mean everything was against us getting married and it was so hard to the point where I, I, at one point I thought, like, I'm not going to marry her. Like, she's not the one. And I'll never forget one day in my apartment, I'm praying, you know, and I just asked, Lord, is this your will? And he said, do you have faith? And I said, yes. He said, if you have faith to do all these things that you've done in the past and even come to me, why not put your faith in marrying her? She saved. And he started, he started going down the list, like, what, what does she have that... What, what, what's, what quality does she have that you wouldn't want? And I'm like, she does have everything I want, like... We relate. We're like we're, we're we're like we're compatible. She's a powerful like you know she's she's at the time she had a she's a powerful woman like she was a financial center manager at Bank of America. Financially she's stable, has no other children, same age. Like we just related so much. And I was like, you know what? It is true. I was like, I'm gonna move in faith. So I told her, look, we're going to the courthouse to get married. We tried to get married at the court, I mean, at the church that we were going to, but because of COVID, they weren't allowing people to come. Yeah. And we tried to get baptized, too, and they were like, we're not doing baptisms because of, because of COVID. So I'm like, I need to get baptized. We need to get baptized, and we need to get married. So that's when we went to the courthouse alone on her lunch break. I mean, we just went in faith, and we just got married to abide by the governing laws right. of the land. You have to get married, you know, legally. You can't just go and say, I'm married. Like, no. And we did that. And then Sharon um, took us to L.A. Fitness, the hot tub in L.A. Fitness. And we got baptized right wow. there. And, you know, I, again, I already prayed in the Holy Spirit. Um, eventually, about a month later, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And um, we just got lit up on fire. And we joined that ministry, uh, TLR, the Last Reformation with Torben Sandegard, powerful ministry. It's a kickstart ministry. That's actually the name of the ministry. They kickstart people into their calling. I mean, they were in the streets 
teaching us how to, you know, lay hands on the sick so they could be healed, cast out demons early on. Like we thought this was normal mm-hmm. because we came to this, you know, in, in, into the, the body of Christ with this. And the spiritual warfare was crazy. I mean, finances got attacked. I mean, like the, the apartment we were at, mold just busted out out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. We tried to get our money back. We're like, look, we got mold. They were like, no, they just robbed us. Two apartments, actually, back to back, robbed us of our deposit, money, all that. We had to hire the mold tester to come in and test the mold. They didn't even, they, and it was proven that there was mold. They didn't care. So we lost all that, all that money. I mean, like, I even had, I got a lawyer. When I got the lawyer, the lawyer said that we could win in court. And I remember just opening up the Bible to where it talks about, you know, not suing your brother and sister in Christ, not taking them to court. Yeah. This lady wasn't a brother, or I mean, a sister in Christ, but I just felt convicted. Like, I felt like the Lord was telling me, don't do it. Yeah. I lost so much money. I, again, like, almost in total, like fifteen to $20,000 got into a car accident. I, I had lost some money on that because I had to get it fixed. And now the baby's coming out soon. So um, my child was born on February 29th, 2020, leap year. He's a leap year baby um, on the news and everything. It was crazy. The only child born on leap year or the first child in that hospital born on leap year. The news was there and everything. And we, even though we got married, we're butting heads. I mean, like, we love each other, but there's so much going on. And this is, again, where it got real. I was being tormented by the enemy um, with not telling her the truth about everything I did. I kept hearing the enemy say, don't tell her everything, because if you do, it could affect the child health-wise. And I felt convicted by the Lord to tell her everything in the past that I did, just confess it all. And one night, I had a dream. And in the dream, the Lord rebuked me, literally. Like, you're going to tell her everything when you, when you wake up. And I felt the fear of the Lord, like this conviction, like this reverence to God, like, Okay, and I woke up. It was. It felt like I didn't sleep for days. It was terrible. That same night, she had also had a dream. But let me just continue. So I got up out of the dream. I went downstairs on my on our um on our couch, and I'm waiting. Like, okay, where's she at? She was walking our dog, and I'm like, all right. When she comes back, I'm gonna tell her everything. All the women that I cheated on her with, um, having girls in in, my, in in our apartment when she was at work. I mean, like her finding lipstick in my 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 bends and then me blaming it on my friend like everything like i was like i gotta i gotta tell her i feel i feel it and she comes in the you know the apartment like hey i had a dream last night and i'm like look I, you can tell me that after i just i gotta tell you this and as i'm telling her she's looking at me with her jaw dropped like and i'm like i thought this you know this is a haitian woman from from harlem new york city like i thought she was gonna knock me out like swing and she was just silent and i'm like like do you not hear what i'm saying and she was like God took me to heaven last night. Hmm. Jesus had literally took her to heaven. She had an encounter with the Father. And then Jesus literally said, word for word, forgive him, he's a good man. In heaven, took her. Like, she saw everything in detail. She can tell you about how the trees look, the the mansion. You know how the Bible says that like, he prepares a mansion for us in heaven. Like, she said she saw the people. Like, she saw the angels. She saw everything. And literally, Jesus took her and, and spoke to her and said, forgive him, he's a good man. Like, like God was already speaking prophetically about what was going to happen in the future. Like, he's a good man. Don't worry. Forgive him. And she was like, that's why he took me to heaven. And she was like, oh, my God, I can't do this. I can't be with you. We're already married. Like, we're about to have a kid. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I'm like, I was messed up. It was before we got saved. Like, I don't. And, you know, we're babies in the faith. And she was just, she broke down. She didn't want to talk to me for weeks. It was bad. Like, it, she just didn't want to speak to me at all, man. Like, mm. I just waited and I prayed and I fasted and I waited on God. Mm. And eventually she said, okay, I forgive you. 
and it was hard. That about for about a year, we went through a lot. Like I'm talking about getting freed from different things, healed from different things, just always butting heads. Like it was a lot. Um, I actually um, adopted um, her younger brother at 15 years old. His name is Kevin. He's actually our videographer now. I talked to him, preached the gospel to him at her house one day and told him to shoot my first music video because I got a prophetic word about doing music and now he's full-time videographer. But mm. yeah, we had took him in. So it was a lot of warfare with that because um, her, their father's a Freemason and their whole family does Haitian voodoo. So you just think about that type of backlash. It mm. was It was constant prayer. I had to pray all the time, fasting. I was consecrated in the word and it was just a lot of warfare um, in the home and outside of the home. I actually got healed from a disease that doctors couldn't heal as well. Um, I had laryngeal reflux on my first three-day fast, water fast. The Lord healed me of a disease I had for nine years. Mm. I had gotten four endoscopies in the military. They couldn't figure it out. They said it was just genetics. Um, I had a hiatal hernia. And that every time I ate, my acid would come up, food would come up. I was in my early 20s taking Nexium, you know, at growing up. And um, on a three-day fast, I heard the Lord say, go in the closet and pray against that spirit of infirmity. And I prayed, and I remember coughing some stuff up, and I still didn't believe it. I barely had just enough faith. I just was like, whatever, I'm going to take a pill soon. A few weeks go by, and I, I hadn't taken any pills, and wow. I tested it. I was like, I want to go to the gas station and get a Red Bull. I haven't drank a Red Bull in so long. Hmm. I chugged the Red Bull, nothing, and drank, drank another one. Like, just like, let's see what happens. If I would have drank any type of acidic thing, Things would come up, nothing came up, and I was just like, I got healed. So God healed me of that. The warfare was wild, man, and it was just, it felt like it was it was like 10 years in one year. Mm. It was so much going on. We were, we were growing in the faith. We were learning so quickly. The Lord was fast-tracking us so quickly. Um, the people we had in our life discipling us, I thank God for them because they were very mature in the faith. They are very mature in the faith, and they helped us so much just to learn the Lord, have a relationship with Him. Yeah. How's your relationship with your parents and your family today? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, that's actually where a lot of the backlash came. So when we um, we got married, you know, we didn't invite nobody because they didn't want us to get married. And then when... Um, and what was that? Because they, they thought that I was moving too fast. They knew... My parents knew that their fam her family did voodoo. And her family knew that my family knew about that and that they were judgmental. Hmm. Even though my, my my parents at the time, they weren't any better. Like, they weren't in the... They, they weren't saved. Yeah. So me coming to Christ, knowing this now, like now I, my eyes are open. I know like, okay, none of them are saved. It was just so much headbutting. If you know about Puerto Ricans, Puerto Ricans are like, like really big on marriages and the traditional and all that stuff. So they, they just didn't like it at all. Man, and we preached the gospel to our family members and they wouldn't receive. I mean, my little brother, my only brother looked at me one day. It was New Year's Eve. And he told me after a month being saved, wait till you find out it isn't Jesus. He looked at me and said, wait till you find out it isn't Jesus. Wow. And I mean, three years later, he's now saved. So he got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's actually in our church, um, serving as a leader in our church now, which is crazy. But um, yeah, man, the backlash with our family was crazy. Um, just me telling her, her dad, like Freemasonry's wrong and her mom, voodoo's wrong. Oh man, even the voodoo priest that's in her family, the warfare was crazy. Mm. I mean, getting attacked in our dreams and all that, but it taught us how to pray. Yeah. It taught us how to seek God. It taught us how to worship because when you're in such a place of like, I need you in desperation, Lord, I need you. He teaches you how to fight and how you fight. And the spirit is actually getting closer to the Lord. Yeah. That's how we fight because he fights our battles. Richard, uh, you basically were building an empire with drugs, right? And doing whatever you wanted to do. Very briefly, 
what ended up happening with all of that? Did you end up burning all of that? Did you, what, what happened with that side of your life? That's a great question. So I had a lot of vacuum sealers, which were like $500 each. I had a lot of pounds of weed. Yeah. I had a whole storage unit. I just literally just, I got rid of it all. I, I, just, I was just like, I'm not selling it. I'm just going to just throw it in the trash. And people owed me money. I had a Rolling 60 Crip, a literal gang leader in Atlantic City, was my friend at the time, that owed me $30,000. And I called him one day and I just told him, give it to a church. He was like, what? Like, I'm like, bro, I don't even want the money. Give it to a church. Just give it away. I don't want it. And he actually got mad. He was like, nah, I'm going to give you your money. You ain't going to, like, he just couldn't understand it. And I was like, bro, you're good. I found Christ. I'm good. And he was a whole Muslim. He thought I was crazy. I'm like, just keep the money. I don't even care. I was calling up people that I had robbed in the past and telling them I want to pay him back. I called up a guy that I robbed when I was 17 years old. I'll never forget this. Actually, Colombian. And they were getting a lot of um, clothes in from Colombia, like designer, like Ed Hardy back then. It was really popular and like antique jeans and all that. And I'll never forget this. Like we had robbed his house. Like when he was at school and his mom was at work, we had went into his house, home invasion and took all the boxes of stuff they had. And I, I remember hearing back then that the police came and that they were crying in the middle of the street because they, they, they got that stuff fronted to them and they were going to owe the people money and they were messing with obviously the wrong people. Yeah. And we were so like gutter and reckless back then. We didn't care. We were, and we were wearing the clothes in front of the guy. It was just so demonic. Twelve years later, I called him and, and you know, I'm not going to say his name. Maybe he's going to watch this, but he knows who he is. I called him and I was like, hey, bro, like it's rich. And he's like, who's this? I was like, I got your number from this person, this person. I don't know if you remember me when I was 17. He was like, oh, yeah, I remember you, man. What's up? I was like, bro, I robbed your house. Me and my friends, you know, who, he knew who they were. He was just silent. And I'm like, how much did, how much was it? He had said about two to $3,000. I was like, okay, what's your Zell? I'm going to send you 5000 right now. And he just started weeping and crying. And he was like, bro, you don't understand. Like, I owed money for my rent or I was going to get evicted, hmm. like, this week. And I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. And he... Come to find out, he's a Christian. He got saved. He was in the church. And I'm like, what? Like, And we're crying together. And I was just trying to make everything right. I went to a library. I'll never forget this. I went to a library and sat there for a whole week just typing up all my sins. I didn't know what to do at the time. I was like, I want to repent and I want to just acknowledge it all to the Lord. I mean, like almost a 20-page paper. Hmm. I was just typing it all up. Like I'm weeping in the library and all these young kids watching me like, this guy's crazy, man. What's he doing? And just typing up all my sins that I could remember, everything. And I remember just making a fake email at, or like it's just, a, just a throwaway email address and just emailing it to that, that address and just like being dead with it. I forgot the password, forgot the email. I was like, I'm done. These are all my sins. And yeah, the spiritual warfare was crazy. The enemy was constantly trying to get us to go back. I mean, the alcohol, I was an alcoholic. I mean, I was drinking all the time and drugs. I completely gave it up. So the temptation was obviously there. The porn, I got, I got delivered from the porn. The adultery, I, was, I mean, I was never... I was never faithful to one woman my whole life, even though it was fornication. So now I was going from, like, being a player to just one woman, from alcoholic to not drinking at all, but, you know, from all this porn to, like, being, sell like, only with one woman. And it was it was a big change, man, but um, it was worth it. Mm. It was worth it. Richard, who is Jesus to you? Jesus Christ is, number one, my Lord and Savior, and he's my best friend. He's everything to me, like, like literally everything now. My only purpose for living is to glorify Christ in everything I do. That's how I feel. It's like he's the center of it all. My family, my wife, the ministry, music, business, anything I do, even this video, is to glorify him because he took me out of so, so much misery 
so much anger, so much depression, suicide. Gave me a wife, children that I don't deserve. He's, he's allowed me to pastor other young people that I don't deserve. And I just, he's my everything. Richard, for people who are watching your testimony right now, and are connecting with what you are saying when it comes to uh, looking for that love, right? Looking um, for the meaning of life, just how you were looking for it in crystals and being a warlock and drugs and traveling, all of these different things. What is a word of encouragement? Could you just give a word of encouragement to those people who are watching? Ask. On the island of Crete in Greece, I asked I didn't say, Jesus, show me who you are. I said, higher power, whoever you are, whoever they are, who are you and show up. I promise you, if you ask, just say, highest power, who are you? Jesus Christ, Yeshua, will show up and he will show you. Because the Bible says, if you ask, you, you, if you, ask, you shall receive. And he wishes that none would perish, that all, but all would come to repentance. He will put you down the path like he did with me if you have the, tr the right heart. You have to be alone. Go. I tell people about this all the time when I'm evangelizing in the streets. Go alone and just say highest power, whoever you are, show up. And mean it. Like, mean it from deep within. I promise you, it won't be Muhammad. It won't be Buddha. It won't be Islam. It won't be, it won't be crystals. It won't be none of that. It will be no voodoo gods. It will be Jesus Christ who shows up in your life. If you keep seeking, be real with yourself. If you know that this ain't it, you're, I knew, I knew. You can't lie. The fulfillment that Christ will give you is undeniable, inexplainable. It's a knowing that you can't communicate to people who don't know. That's why the testimony is so important. Mm -hmm. Richard, any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now? Yes. Um, we're in a time where he's coming back soon, and I highly suggest that you seek the higher power. I, I highly suggest you seek Jesus Christ. Because there's no there's no other reason for life. We all we all live a short life. If you live till seventy, it's really short. I mean, people that I know that are in their seventies, they they talk about how fast life was. It's like the blink of an eye. Yeah. You can have all the money. You can have all the cars. You can travel the world. You can have a family. You can do everything you want. And I promise you, it, it means nothing. We can't take none of it with us. You gotta really ask yourself, what are you doing here? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Like. You need to be real with yourself and, and say, yeah. what are we doing here? And there is a purpose. There is a purpose, and it's to glorify Christ. He's the one who created you. He wants you to come back to him, and you can come back to him through simple faith. Faith means walking in belief and repentance. Yeah. If you turn away from the world and from yeah. sin, not saying you're going to be perfect, but it's here. It's, it's here, like really saying, I'm done. And you say, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you, and you follow him, not just believe, but follow as faith, it'll be the best decision you ever made. Stay strong. Some of you are coming out of witchcraft and drug dealing and all that, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Just hold on tight because you're on a roller coaster. And you might be going down, but you're going to come right back up. Mm, thank you. Richard, lastly, could you just pray for people who are watching on the other side of the screen that may be connecting with what you're saying and maybe even are now open to receiving and following Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. It's like the Bible says, Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and you confess from your mouth that he's Lord and that he rose from the dead, you'll be saved, right? Lord means master. So I want you to repeat after me. I just heard the Lord say that. Repeat after me and say this. Say, Jesus, I accept you in my heart. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. Say, say Jesus, I believe you're the highest power. Yes. Say, Jesus, you rose from the dead. Thank On you. the third day, 
Remember, he died, he was buried, and he rose. And it's real. There's archaeological proof, historical proof. I'm telling you it's real. Just say it out of your mouth and believe it. And just say, Lord, I turn away from all my sin. And say, Jesus, fill my heart. Now, I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to get encountered, and you're going to get filled with the Spirit from this video right now. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody watching this right now, I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your Spirit right now. That they would yes. know that you would encounter them right now through this video. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, Holy Ghost, that you would fill them right now from the top of their head yes. to the soles of their feet, their heart right now. Transform their heart. Turn it, turn it from stone to flesh right now. In Jesus' name. Some of you are getting touched right now. You're profusely mm -hmm. crying. You're shaking. Some of you are getting yes. delivered and healed right now. Thank you're going you. through what I went through. Right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, bless them. I pray that you have yes. angels surrounding them that will minister to them, that will strengthen them like they did with Jesus. I pray, Lord, that they would be lit up right now on fire. I pray right now a breaker's anointing, that everything in their life that is not supposed to be there will break off. That God, that you would prune them, the remnant, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a testimony. Now, this last testimony, let me tell you something. I knew he was telling the truth. I knew this man went through all of these things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wasn't caught up into witchcraft like that, but had friends that was, had relatives uh, that was. And they, these people sold drugs, and they believed in all that kind of thing. And if they thought somebody, they was paranoid all the time, couldn't trust nobody. And if they thought, you know, something was going on out the norm, they would run to what we call the root man. Yeah, witches, warlocks, all that kind of stuff was in place, I'm telling you. And they made a bunch of money. And just like he said, they would lie to you. They keep you coming because they know you got money. Because, see... They they worked the work now to make sure that your block was, was straight. You made money. And everywhere you turned, money was to be made. But this was the thing. A lot of things they told you was going on wasn't because they wanted that money out of your pocket. And they knew if they lied to you and told you this and that, you would believe them because so many other things uh, you had told them came true. So, and, and, and it was more true, and it was careful not to let these people find them in a lie. So what they did is they kept them coming back, coming back, coming back. And then they would show them things. And see, like him, they was, you know, hey, you could become a priest in this. Hey, you can become a warlock. I'm going to show you. you. You you can make this person do this, that, and all this stuff, all this stuff. Oh, you want to kill somebody and you want to do it where you won't get in trouble? You take this to the graveyard. You do this. You do. I'm telling you, what he said was the truth. Oh, but God had a purpose and a plan for his life, a purpose and a plan for his wife's life before she became his wife. Oh, yeah. God is faithful to his people. But we must be faithful to him. God is real. Oh, the most realest thing I ever encountered in my life. We're down to six minutes. I'm going to pray us out, and we're going to try and do a last song of the morning. 
Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you today for these great testimonies. Lord, we thank you for our life, health, and strength. We bind up every evil and hindering and negative thing that's coming our way that's not of you this day. And, Father, we cast it to the pits of hell, and we ask that you would rebuke it for our sake. In the name of Jesus, Lucia, protect and angels to stand watch to shield and protect, Father. Keep us from all hurt, harm, or danger. In the name of Jesus, ask that as we depart this morning, Father, bless our going out. Bless our coming in. Meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. Father, we ask it all today in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye, and uh, we pray that the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from another. In the name of Jesus, go in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Seek the blessings of Almighty God upon you today. October the 3rd, 2023, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye and have a blessed day. And uh, we are going to the last song of the morning. Bread of life. Down the glory, many things you were on earth, a holy king, a carpenter, but you are the living word. Come on. Come on, Houston, you can say it one time with us. Friends, and down from glory. Many things. Come on, somebody say it. This is what we like to call you, G.